The electric chair, Danny, isn't here. Hello everyone, Midnight Corey here with another edition of The Electric Chair. Uh, first off, before I say anything else, I just have to apologize for things kind of getting screwed up uh, for the release of the last episode because something went wrong with the feed, things got all weird, and uh, so I didn't end up actually having this available until like Sunday afternoon. So I really, really apologize for that. Um, if any of you are upset, um, then uh, what I'm offering is actually a refund for your subscription price. So if you just email me um, and let me know that uh, you know that was a that was a problem, then uh, you you'll get all the money back that you pay to uh, listen to the electric chair. So there we go. Well. Of course, the electric chair is available on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher is very, very awesome. I was actually listening to the Horror Etc. podcast uh, via Stitcher this morning. Uh, I was listening to the first in their uh, Hellraiser series of shows that they're doing. They talked about the very first Hellraiser, and they did an audio commentary. So uh, that is really, really cool. I'm actually kind of wanting now to go back and listen to it again and watch the movie right along with them. So just be like sitting there with Ted and Anthony, and now just be cool. So, yeah. Um, but uh, anyhow, yeah, yeah. Go uh, get Stitcher on your phone or your tablet or whatever else. You can even listen to it on their website, Stitcher.com. So, yeah. Um, a couple really, really exciting announcements this week um, before I tell you about my guests. Um, but uh, first of all, both the Electric Chair and the Electric Chair 2D, the video podcast, will be part of the Horror Podcasting Alliance. And actually, it is already part. It's not it will be. It already is. We are already listed up there with a lot of really, really fantastic shows. Um, so go to horrorpodcastingalliance.blogspot.com. And this isn't a big, fancy network kind of thing with a bunch of rules and whatever. This is uh, actually just uh, a bunch of really cool people getting together and just promoting each other, being on one website, knowing that we're all of uh, really great quality. And uh, yeah. Kind of, kind of just doing our thing. So it is really, really cool. Um, also, the video show, The Electric Chair 2D, will be part of SpookShow.tv. I am so super pumped. Uh, a lot of you out there, I'm sure, know about Spook Show. But uh, it's a fantastic uh, entertainment network. Uh, the premier, actually, online entertainment network. Uh, a ton of great shows up there. Lots of videos. and uh, Yeah. So The Electric Chair 2D will be part of that. And I am so excited. Um, other things going on. Um, wow. Well, I got guests this week. Got two wonderful guests. First of all, I give you actress Priscilla Iden. You know Priscilla, friend of the show, a fantastic person. So she comes on and talks with me. And actually, this week's episode of The Electric Chair 2D uh, features Ms. Iden. So... Yeah, yeah, definitely going to want to watch that. But uh, I had a great time with her, and uh, we talk about a lot of really great stuff. And also, you're going to be hearing from award-winning author John Everson. That's really exciting. John is a fantastic guy. He knows his stuff, man. And I apologize for all these beeps in the background. Somebody is messaging me on Google as I'm trying to do the show. I mean, the nerve. The nerve. I mean, it is kind of, you know, you know, my, my boss. But, uh, you know, any of that's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so I should be working, everybody. So that's how much I value doing this podcast. Um, anyhow, back <laughs> back to John Everson. Uh, yeah, we talk about uh, Jean Roland, actually. A lot about Roland, a lot about films in general, zombie movies. Of course, 
It's like every friggin' conversation I have on the show just kind of gravitates towards zombie movies. Um, and you actually, <laughs> believe it or not, I mean, I talk about it with Priscilla as well, I think. And um, you'll hear me saying a lot of the same things. Uh, the, the same things that I say every time I talk about zombies. Like, look at me. I grew up near Pittsburgh. I went to the Monroeville Mall whenever I was a kid where Dawn of the Dead was. How about that? Look at me. You know, I, I, you know, I brag about that a lot. <laughs> So you'll hear me say that, but uh, yeah, it, it's just kind of funny. Um, so guess what else? I don't have my notes in front of me and I'm distracted by this whole Google thing. So I'm sorry if I'm a bit uh, kind of all over the place right now. Uh, if you'd like to call the show, we got no feedback this week. No feedback, um, which, you know, is, is actually kind of time saving for me because then I don't have to I don't have to deal with it. But I always really, really love to hear feedback and I'm, I'm a little sad that there was none. But... Nevertheless, you can call the voicemail line 206-337-5096 or you can uh, upload it via the contact page at electricchairshow.com. So, yeah, there was one of the... Oh, oh, speaking of uh, the the, the Electric Chair 2D, uh, the show I'm putting out this week. And again, I'm not going to be able to put it out every single week. Uh, That's just uh, not a reality. It's so much work. So, um, you know, it's going to come out as I can. It just so happens I can get another one out this week. I'm going to try for another one next week because I have video interviews lined up, which is really, really cool. Um, But uh, you're going to be witnessing with your own two eyes the drawing of the winner for Florida Possum's uh, Troll Hunter Blu-ray giveaway contest. So, yes. So watch the show and you'll find out if you won, if you entered, that is. So, yeah. Watch it. If it's not up right now, uh, it'll be up real soon on the YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash user slash electric chair show. Or it will appear on the electric chair uh, website at some point. So, yeah, look for it. Look for it. But you'll definitely be able to find it on uh, spookshow.tv. So, really exciting. All right. Well, there we go. Uh, Let's talk with uh, Priscilla right now, and then we'll get on with John Everson, and then uh, that'll be that. So thank you again for listening. The little bugger bit me. Singaya. Singaya! You've got the bite. There's there's some dittle in the cheap. Well, I'm really happy right now to be speaking with the very wonderful, the very charming, the very beautiful, Priscilla Iden. Priscilla, thank you for joining me tonight. Oh, thank you, Corey. I appreciate being on the show. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, just for full disclosure here to the everybody watching right now, um, this is our second take. Of course, we had a few technical difficulties the first time around. And this is just a testament to how cool you are. Um, oh. you, you are taking yet another night out of your schedule when you should be doing, like, fun stuff and <laughs> sitting here with me. So... That, that's just really cool. I do appreciate it. It's my pleasure. And I was going to cover for you and say that this is uh, I appreciate that. But, you know, we're, I'm, I'm human. And so, I don't, <laughs> you know, it happens. But uh, Anytime. So. Anytime. Happy to be here. Oh, so it's, it's uh, you know, been a while since oh, we talked. 
Um, and uh, you had some different projects going on as far as, uh, you know, of course, Bad Kids Go to Hell, which I'm still really excited to see. Yeah, uh, totally. So where is that right now um, as far as uh, like distribution um, or anything like that? Right. Last, I, I mean, they just printed a new article on it uh, in a major magazine. And, and it shouldn't have slipped my mind with the name of the magazine. I mean, you can Google it. It'll, it'll show it. But uh, it just literally came out two days ago that I was told. And I looked it up. I was sent a link from the producers and saw it. It was a really cool write-up. But last I heard, it was going to be released um, for test audiences on the 13th of this month of Ooh. July. And then it should be theaters everywhere within a couple weeks after that. So, uh, but yeah, so that's exciting. So we're, you know, less than two weeks away. So we shall see. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. Have Have you seen the, the full version yet or have you yet to see it? I I've seen it once. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> yeah. Wrap party, so cool. it, it looks great. I mean, it. I'm not sure if you're aware, but the comic book of Back It's Good sold out at Comic Con. It was the number one comic oh. book, and so they did the movie after the adaptation of the comic book. So yeah, it's 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 really exciting. Oh, I love it to have done so well at Comic Con, and then you know, wow, yeah. wow, mm-hmm. oh, I can't wait to can't wait to watch it so that's awesome and uh what else do you got going on i know you've had like a ton of auditions and you've been you've been really busy i have um well the, the last movie i just wrapped on is called the bounce back it's a comedy which is kind of odd for me but <laughs> you know uh it, it couldn't have been planned more perfectly in terms of i reside in austin texas and it was filmed partially in austin texas so i was able to film on that movie with uh the Cloverfield star, Michael Stahl David, is one of my, I just think he's a great actor and he's good looking, but he's a great actor. <laughs> and I was on that with him and Cloverfield was one of my favorite movies ever, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's a great, great flick. And so to film with Michael was was great and we had the rap party in Austin with all the cast and crew. So that was good. And that was about two, three weeks ago that we finished that. So. Yeah, that'll be coming out. I mean, it's now in post-production, so I can't really determine when. I mean, I would assume, just based on my experience, it'll probably come out maybe, I would say, December or January, based cool. on finishing post-production. But that should be a really good, like, the bounce back. So Yeah, yeah, yeah and that's cool. I love it that you're expanding. You're just not like, <laughs> I'm only doing horror and nothing else. <laughs> that's because... still where my heart lies, <laughs> and yeah. it always will. But as an actress, you have to be diverse and be versatile. And, you know, um, it's always great to change up roles and, and tap into different, you know, genres. So, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's no, exciting. No matter where you go, you know, you're going to grow and expand and maybe you're out of your comfort zone a little bit because you've just been doing a lot of horror stuff. And now the comedy, was it was it weird having to do comedy? Or? Uh, no, it was just it was just different. You know, yeah. there's nothing there's. I didn't see any, you know, corn syrup. There was no. Didn't have to really get messy, probably. In this no, movie. not at all. No, which, you know, is always good for different takes. And so that was a different experience than being drenched in blood and having a shower in between, <laughs> shakes, you know, takes and everything lasts way longer because of, you know. So, and again, it was just, it was just an honor to work with some of the people I got to work with on this film. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it awesome. Fun. Yeah. Oh, cool, cool, cool. So you, you talked about Cloverfield. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know, and that was a huge movie and a great movie. Um, yes. And yes. Um, found footage stuff, you know. Um, a lot of people love it or hate it, it seems. Some people, you know, are kind of getting sick of it. 
because yeah. there are so many out there. The Paranormal Activity 19, you know, and just it seems it, exactly like so I, many. Right. People are getting sick of the actual way that that's been. I think it all started with Blair Witch. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, I had a, a fellow horror movie person tell me that there was a, a movie before Blair Witch that was strictly on video cam. And this is the name I can't remember. Off was it my head. Um, the last broadcast by any chance? That sounds familiar. That may have been it. It was yeah. one that I hadn't seen it. But I heard, no, no, Blair Witch did great. But this was actually before Blair Witch. Mm-hmm. And then Blair Witch came. And then, of course, paranormal, like you said, Paranormal Activity, um, Cloverfield. Um, gosh, there have been, oh, uh, even Shudder. Uh, yeah. Shudder mm-hmm. with Joshua Jackson, I think he was. Yeah, uh, yeah. And like wreck and quarantine and those kind of yeah quarantine. I even saw the Spanish version of quarantine. Wreck, yeah. Which was called was it called wreck? wreck. Yeah, it was. Wreck. It was wreck. You're right. Yeah, the Spanish version. So I saw that, and uh, I saw quarantine part two where they're on the plane. Oh, really? I haven't out. seen that yet because I'm a big fan of the original Spanish movies like Wreck and Wreck Two, right. and I wasn't such a big fan. I mean, quarantine was pretty good, but. I uh-huh. just compare it to Wreck, and I just love Wreck. Um, so I saw Quarantine 2 come out, and I knew it had nothing to do with the original Wreck at Wreck 2. Right. And I'm like, uh, I don't know. It's on Netflix right now, but should yeah, I give it a shot? Is there on there? Yes. I, would, I liked it better than the first Quarantine, and I'm not one for oh, sequels. Really? I don't like sequels, but this one, I thought, I thought that was better than Quarantine. I thought so. Oh, yeah, I'm going to give it a shot now. You should. That was my impression. I usually don't like sequels, you know, except for... Right. Red Dragon, you know, for yeah. Sons of Sam's, which was supposed to be the prequel. But, you know, of course, Ed Norton came in afterwards. And yeah. that, to me, was – that was great. I, I loved that. It was a good movie. Sequel, prequel, what have you. Yeah. So, yeah, but, uh, no, Quarantine Part 2, I saw it on Netflix myself. And, yeah, I, I saw it twice. I liked it that much. Oh, interesting, interesting. Are there any other uh, movies you've been uh, going to – like, horror-wise? <laughs> Um, have you been to the theater so or anything lately? I have. I went to the theater probably a month and a half ago to see Cabin in the Woods. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, uh, that was one of the most creatively written horror movies I've ever seen. You think you know what's going on and you don't. And, you know, in, in so much of horror movies, but really in this one, you would have never seen it coming. I mean, anything, I'm, I'm not going to, this is not giving anything away. I'm just saying anything with a unicorn in it, you got to see. That's, that's all I'm going to say. I had no idea. Holy cow. I know. That's all I'm saying. I'm not giving anything away. I'm not having a spoiler. But I recommend Cabin in the Woods in terms of writing, at the very least. It was amazing in terms of how they wrote this and yeah. creativity. You know, it was just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, there's not another movie like it. I'll say wow. that. And I'm that's not what in, I've heard. So <laughs> I'm not in, so I'm not plugging this for anything. Hey. And producers are watching. That's what I said. <laughs> wow. Wow. Well, I know you're you're a horror person. You're a big horror <laughs> fan. And uh, so would Cabin in the Woods be like a family-friendly thing? As far as my wife goes, like my wife, I think I was talking with you before. She right. does not like horror. She likes romantic comedies. Uh, right. You know, she likes things to be very palatable, doesn't like to be uncomfortable. Um, I think your wife would like this. It's nothing like hostile or soft. It's not like a... There, there's there's torture horror, you know. It's not a torture horror. It's more of a homage to the 1980s horror in the beginning of the flick, and then about halfway through the movie, it changes course and it's more um, psychological, which oh, I like. Cool. And you're going, oh, you know. So in the beginning, you almost think it's cheesy because it's it, to me, it's almost a spoof 
I don't mean that literally. It's really not a spoof, but it's almost uh, reminiscent of a 1980s horror movie. It feels like it, yeah. Where, where it's very predictable, and you're just like... And then halfway through, it does a complete 180, and then the very last scene, uh, I mean, our very last, um, you know, third act, it, it's totally, again, completely turned around. So you never know what to expect. I mean, you'll you'll see it, and your wife would see it for the first three minutes going, and then you just wait. And yeah. then like, wow, that was very creative. That cool. was very, it makes you think, and, and I huh. like that. So that's fine. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm thinking of taking her then. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you should. Yeah, <laughs> I know yeah. she's a huge horror movie fan. No, no. There, there's a couple that we've walked out of there and she's just like, you're sleeping on the couch tonight. This was that's that hilarious. you just Does put me through two hours. Does she watch your podcasts? No, no. She's, okay. yeah, no, she's just not into, you know, not she's into like, this that's kind of thing. That's your thing. Yeah. Yeah. This is, you know, I come down to my man cave. I do my podcast, you know, and that's, hey, that's. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> but no, she keeps me grounded, though. You know, she keeps me yeah. from getting too far out there and too. Well, I'm sure she keeps you versatile, too. I'm sure there's some, yeah. some movies that she likes that you probably would never see. And then you oh, see them. Oh, yeah. You have <laughs> yeah. So, yeah there, there's been a lot of diversity there, for sure. You don't want to admit to what those titles are, do you? Oh, I, I would lose so much of my cred and just oh, like no. coolness here if I. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There are some bad ones. Oh, but, uh, but no, no, we, we compromise, but, uh, so that's a lot of fun. I mean, it, it's hard to find new horror. I go to the indie realm so yes. much more and I know you operate and, and it, kind of that, uh, Absolutely. uh, that whole thing, but man, a lot of indie, has there been any like independent stuff that, uh, has come uh, out? Like not maybe a, a, a big Hollywood, big budget thing. Um, cause I watch it. I'm a, I'm a geek for indie horror. Um, right. But, totally. uh, um, I think we talked about absentia, you know, that was a low budget indie film that totally sure. looks like it came out of Hollywood. They just did it right. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, um, yeah. you know, not since, I mean, I can name previous horror movies that I like that were indie that came out. I mean, and, and one of the ones, this was of course years ago, probably I'm showing my age here, probably eight years ago, if I want to say, but I know it sounds cheesy, but it was open water. You know, that was in a fight over yeah, Sundance. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was, I mean, the, the director and producer, like, literally mortgaged their house, apparently, is what I heard, to finance this movie, and then it, you know, Lionsgate was in a bidding war, with, you know, and, and it did phenomenal, and, and things like that that show realism, I think, are amazing, and they're great. Um, in terms of present day, I was just excited that Bad Kids Go to Hell got into the con festival, which yeah. some people say cans, yeah. uh, whatever way you want to pronounce it, but the f- big festival in, in, in France. Yeah. So um, that was a huge honor to get into that uh, because coming from an adaptation of a comic book from uh, Comic-Con was a huge deal, you know, for that. Um, my last horror short, El Kikui, we just found out got into Shriekfest in LA. Uh, so that'll right. be October. So we'll see if we win anything. Uh, with Shriekfest, which is one of the biggest horror movie conventions you know, in the United States. And so I'll be going to L.A. for that in October. So that's exciting. That's cool. I wanted to ask you about that one, too, because I've been reading about it. Um, it's listed on your IMDb and everything. And so I'm like, yes. oh, that sounds really cool. Um, yes. And so I went around and I wasn't sure where it was, if it was available or, or what. <laughs> and I was looking. I'm like, maybe it's up on like Vimeo or something. Maybe I can watch it. So I did a search and there was another one called El Kikui and it, uh, it was it totally, I mean, it was some amateur, you know, making some kids making something. 
so I'm like, that can't be it. And and so that's uh, that's really cool. It got into Shriekfest. It's, it did. Uh, if you didn't so, see yeah. me in the beginning of whatever you watched, then it's, I'm the lead actress on that, and that's what you see first. Awesome. So if it wasn't that, I hope it wasn't what you watched. Here. No, yeah. no, believe me, it was it was completely different. I, it was like kids actually, with a camcorder. And, yeah, no, actually, yeah. I don't think we're on Vimeo. We're on YouTube. The trailer's on YouTube. Oh, okay. Okay. And you can put that up on your side. I'm sending that to you. But I will. the trailer is on YouTube uh, for El Kikui. Cool. And the trailer's pretty cool. So, uh, yeah, I'm excited that it got into, you know, and it was in South by Southwest, which is a huge festival in Austin, Texas. Well, it's huge nationwide. Uh, Conan O'Brien was there. Not at my my screen, but Conan O'Brien was in Austin for that. Uh, mm. You know, so, I mean, there was a lot of celebrities that were, I don't want to misspeak on who all was here, but there was Matthew McConaughey, I believe. A lot of people for South by Southwest, it's a huge festival in March, and my movie was in that, and that was a huge deal, because I was the lead actress in that one, and, you know, to have it in that festival was so huge to yeah. be in South So, and, and Austin being where I live, you know, that was really great, and yeah. Texas has a ton of like really, really cool festivals. Uh, you uh, really do. Um, you know, Texas Frightmares, you know, I've yes, always wanted to get Dallas. down to that. Yeah, and, in uh, Dallas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And just, uh, you know, South by Southwest is something I just, it, that is so diverse. Just the yes. different things going on uh, at that. I always, I, I always find a lot of great music because I always, you know, have a lot of downloadable music out of it. And I find a lot of cool bands and stuff that way. Is, and right. all films and stuff. It's really, really cool. Yeah, they have the music festival and the movie festival. And it, it's just great. I mean, and, um, you know, Back It's Go to Hell, uh, a friend I made through there, Mark Donato, who I don't know if you remember, was in Pay It Forward with Haley Joel Osment. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, the curly head guy with the... Yeah, so he, he's done very well in horror movie films. Lately. I mean, he's a lead actor in Back Is Go to Hell, and then he had another film in uh, in South By. I want to say it's called Horror High, but I could be wrong on the title. Uh, but Mark Donato is doing very well uh, for his career as well. So, you know, it, it, it's cool to see people like that who stay in, in that genre and kind of progress and you know you know they're kids and you're like wow you're 23 now and it's crazy you were like eight yeah so um but south by was it was a great festival we were very honored to get into that and um i wasn't prepared you know we had the vanguard theater and i was sitting in the audience with the director and producer and and then they called us on the stage to do an interview and i was like oh like i didn't even hear my name i'm sitting with everybody's on stage like oh like i walked down there and I'm really not that dizzy, but um, yeah, funny. But it was it was an honor to be in that. It's an honor to be in Street Bus too. Yeah, yeah, and you're just you're surrounding yourself. It seems with like a lot of really really cool people. Yeah, well, and Austin is a great place. I mean, Robert Rodriguez just did his casting call for Machete too. You know, they're oh, doing yeah. that. So Robert Rodriguez is a huge catalyst here in Austin, Texas, and yeah. you know, of course, McConaughey just had his wedding here. You know, he lives here, and um, so it, it's a great place to be in Austin. There's a, there's a huge involvement with the film community, so it, it's a great place to live. But I'm a Texas girl, so. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, I've seen, you know, in the past years, a lot of uh, actors, actresses um, kind of going outside of the acting thing because they have some ideas, and maybe they've, they've written some, some scripts, or maybe they want to try their hand at directing, or maybe, you know, doing something like that. Do you have any interests, any kind of aspirations, any maybe ideas that you scribble down or something? Like, someday, if I get a chance, I want to make this. Right. It's funny that you should mention that, Corey, because um, 
I have three scripts registered with the U.S. Library of Congress and the WGA. Oh, really? Yes, they're from 2004 to 2006 is when I wrote them. And I've renewed them every single time. I never solicited them until uh, two years ago. I solicited one to several, and Bender Spink, which is a big company, um, was talking about optioning one of them. And then we couldn't do it for that year because they had too many horror movies on their slate and go figure. My oh. three scripts are all horror. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was just great to have that kind of um, recognition from a company like Bender Spink um, because they're so huge and they've done some of the most well-renowned films, you know, but they're so versatile. They don't just do horror. They have a slate for that year. And if they've met their slate for horror, they, they can't, they cut it know. off and that's right. But just to have been in contact and communication and to say, you know, that, that was a huge honor for me. And I haven't, um, solicited the scripts, uh, in years because I've just been so focused on my acting, but they're there and they're still registered. Uh, with WGA and, and Library of Congress, and hopefully one day one will be made. And um, I'll be honest, I don't know a lot about uh, production directing. I'm mostly an actress, but I do like to write, so that is my outlet as well. I wouldn't have anything to do with production, but I just like to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I created that character, and I can play it, so that would be great. That would yeah. be really awesome. So yeah, that, that's, that's cool. The least I have is writing. Yeah, so you're very creative. And, um, so, I mean, if you're right, then obviously you like to read as well, because yes. that's like the best writing school right there is you read great. Absolutely. Books. So what, uh, what kind of things do you like to read? Well, obviously Stephen King is my favorite author, <laughs> I have to yeah. say, because I have so many favorite Stephen King uh, movies, but I collect first edition Stephen King books and I have four of them and they're very rare and, um, I admire Stephen King a lot. I love his movies, and it's it's interesting to see the differences between the movie and the novel itself. Um, like you take, for example, Pet Cemetery. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Mr. King spends three chapters on the old couple across the street. Where in in the movie, there's just Judd across the street, and it's a real quick. You know, yeah, most of yeah. it's on the Creed family. So uh, there's some variations in it, but I like how Stephen King does a cameo in a lot of his movies. Oh, yeah. uh, which shows awesome. up, which M. Night Shyamalan <laughs> took, took a page from, I think. Which yep, was, That was kind of cool, too. So, uh, yeah, I, I think I think that's that's great. But I love Stephen King. I do. I, I've probably read every Stephen King book there is. I probably have. Oh, so. oh that's I, awesome. Yeah, Stephen King, he's one of my favorites, too. And I love so many of his movies. Yes. Um, and yes. definitely Pet Cemetery is one of the best. It's uh, oh, yeah. You know what scene I think of whenever I think of Pet Cemetery? It's the most painful. Gage is well, it? well yeah. it's the scalpel into the Achilles um, thing. Oh, he's, he's, but uh, when, uh, yeah, no, you're talking about with the actor uh, who played Herman Munster in The Munsters. That's how it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, that is painful. Yeah. <sighs> Achilles yeah, tendon yeah. and then across the mouth. And yeah. He, yeah, that is a very, yeah. It, it's almost, I don't know, Hostel was almost reminiscent of that. You remember yeah. the scene in Hostel where they do that same oh, scene? Yeah. 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 See, in <laughs> Pet Cemetery, I think it affected me more because the violence and everything is more kind of uh, spread out, and you don't get a whole ton of it all at once, where it's heaped I, on you. You know, you get a lot of story and a lot of character and things sure. like that. And so, whenever these things happen, it's like extra crazy, extra wow! Oh, yeah. I can't believe they did okay. that. Well, did you ever see the movie Sleepwalkers by Stephen King? Yes, I did. Yes, okay. I did. That's, That's another one where it's a lot of buildup. You know, yeah. it's just, they're in the school and then they're at the 
yeah, they're doing the, the, the stone rubbings. And, I mean, and then all of a sudden he hits you with, you know. I had no idea that that was, I know. That was going there. That was nuts. I know. That was such a, I own that movie. I own every Stephen King movie there is. So. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and just the other day I saw Witchboard. Actually, last night I saw Witchboard. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. With I've Tony never Kitan. seen it. Oh. Tony Catan, she was in the White Snake videos. I'm showing my age again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, Witchboard scared me. It was 1988, I want to say. I'm pretty sure. And I was um, I was very young. Oh, I'll wait. Say no, it is. The girl, um, yeah, they're playing with the, with the Ouija board. And yeah, yeah, I know. I did see that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I just saw that last night again. I own it. But, um, yeah, that, and, and you'd be surprised at how rare that, DVD is to get nowadays, and I heard the same thing from a friend of mine about the movie Mouth of Madness. I don't know if you ever seen that. Oh yeah, it, that was that's really hard to get, and I just have I have a VHS. I just talked about it oh, with um, wow. um, with a guy on the podcast here, and literally oh, okay. I have a VHS that's After like from the movie. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And uh, that's the only way I got to see it because you can't. I mean, the DVD is like ridiculously expensive. Um, I, it's going for sixty bucks or so. I yeah. heard. Yeah. Like it's just crazy, but yeah, it's I, a good movie too. I don't, I don't understand why it's so, so hard to get. Oh, it's these cult classics that just yeah. and, and the prices go up. And it's like wow, that's so cool. I remember seeing that as a kid. Yeah. So yeah. that's it, uh, I need to see that location. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so other Stephen King movies um, that were great. Um, you know, we talk about uh, you know The Shining. I mean, yes. one of my favorite all time movies. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh boy, Jack Nicholson, Shelley Duvall, just kill it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, uh, every actor in that in that movie just really owns their role and and does Absolutely. so well. Um, so Absolutely. The Shining, of course, you've read the book. Um, how yes. do you think the book is compared to the movie? Did they do it justice? Or actually, I believe, and I'll probably have a lot of horror movie fans get mad at me here, and that's okay. But I believe that the movie is actually better than the book in terms of. The book was a little long-winded for me. It was great. Don't get me wrong. Uh, any Stephen King book is great, and and I'm not I'm not impugning it. I'm just saying it was long-winded. If they really want to do an accurate depiction of it in a movie, that movie would have been like Dances of the World, four hours long. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. But the fact that they had to cut out so much, of you know, and just focus on the meat of the story, it was great for what it was, and I, and I liked that. It was almost a cliff notes of of the book, and I mean that in a in a good positive. way. Oh, yeah. You know, hour and a half long movie, uh, maybe hour and 45 minutes, however long it is. Mm-hmm. But it gets to the meat. It, it scares you. It frightens you. It's a psychological thrill. It's not over-the-top gory. You know, it's uh, it's even got some, some comedy in there, although mm-hmm. sick and twisted. But comedy, oh, yeah. you know, Jack Nicholson is just, he's the man. I mean, he's just, Jack Nicholson is, is the most amazing actor of our time. I mean, I just feel one of the most. Yeah. I mean, it's... He's a living legend, and, oh, yeah. and you know, and he he depicted that role so. And Shelley Duvall held her own oh, against yeah. him, you know. And there's so many prolific lines in that movie. You know, you talk oh, about the man. you talk about. I mean, uh, yeah, oh, that's... <laughs> you talk about so many. You know, Wendy, lights on my living. You talk about you know Johnny's here. You know, or, or, Dad's here's here. Johnny. Yeah, here's Johnny, and of course that comes from you know. There's so many different lines in there that that come through, and they just stick with you. It's it's a movie for the ages. I mean, generations you know below us are loving that movie. So. Oh, that's what I mean. It holds up today. It's like 30 years old or whatever, at Absolutely. least. And Absolutely. 
you can watch huge. it today and still be scared, you know? And still yeah. yeah, huge cult following. It's right up there with Texas Chainsaw and The Exorcist and yes. Night Living Down. I mean, it's, you know. And, of course, it was remade into a television uh, adaptation, yeah. which I didn't, you know. Same thing with Amityville. That was remade. I don't care for the, the, the TV rendition of it. And it has nothing to do with the actors or anything. They're, they're great, you know. It's nothing to do with that. It's just that kind of movie the shock value, it has to be the way it is. It cannot be made into something softer. There is nothing softer about it. Yeah, and you're talking about, again, Jack Nicholson being, I mean, nobody can touch the guy. And if you try to step into his shoes and have the same effect that he had in the original movie, I mean, nobody delivers the lines. Nobody, I mean, only he could make that character that crazy just the way he looks and talks yes. and, and you talk yes. about some of the comedy in there i mean just the way his nuances you know the way yes. he uh, uh talks and moves and his just little facial things that he does that right. only he can do you, you yes. get some some other actor no matter who it is no matter what they've done right. that is a tough act to follow and Absolutely. i think that was just a bad idea absolutely i i believe that as well i mean they I don't blame the networks for trying to do it. I mean, it, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you remember when they did a Friday the 13th series. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they try to capitalize on, on the movies, which were a series itself, you know, Friday the 13th part one through whatever it is now, maybe 11, but yeah. you know, they tried to do a series on that. And it's like, really, you know, mm -hmm. however you take a series, a real series, like tales from the dark side or yeah. a tales from the crypt, which happened before they made a movie. That I can see. You make a series and then make it a movie, okay. But you can't take a movie and make it a series. It's not gonna. No, no it, it's actually interesting about Friday the Thirteenth because when they made the first one originally, it was supposed to be the movies were weren't supposed to be a continuing tale. Um, they were actually supposed to be their own self-contained, uh, different stories that really had nothing to do with the last one. Uh, kind of like Halloween. Halloween, you know, started out the same way. It wasn't supposed to be Michael Myers for, you know, a dozen movies. Right. You know, it was supposed to be just its own thing. And that's why you got Halloween part three, which makes no sense in the, in the, the storyline of Michael Myers. It has nothing to do with Michael Myers. It has to do with a pumpkin mask, you know, and that's yeah. it. Um, so that's, I guess, originally how they were supposed to be movie wise. And I think they're like, well, that was a really good idea. So let's just take that idea and put it on TV, make them just TV episodes, and it'll be really cool. And it, right, yeah, it no, it didn't work out. I mean, it's kind of, and I have to say this because this is a huge homage to somebody I admire, Tom Holland, who's the director of original Fright Night and, and mm -hmm. Child's Play. And I met Tom at a screening at the Alma Draft House in Austin for the remake of Fright Night, which oh. he had nothing to do with, but you know, he was the director of the original Fright Night. Yeah, so he was there, and I talked to his manager. We got, so Tom and I got to converse quite a bit and um and i asked him i said you know i love child's play the original mm -hmm. and i know the sequels i've seen them and i noticed you didn't direct them and he said and i quote priscilla i did everything i did to kill that damn doll he said <laughs> i did not want sequels i did not i was just this was my story this was my i directed this thing and then when they came to me and said, so he said ugh and he said no i don't you know and, and subsequently I, in my opinion, the, you know, subsequent child's plays were not at all as good as the no, original. You could no. tell they were different directors. And again, not to impugn those directors. I'm not saying right. anything bad. I'm just saying they had a tough act to follow. This was yep. somebody who was passionate about not having a sequel, having one movie that would blow the socks off of everybody and say, that was great. Mm 
don't spoil it by having a sequel. And that's what happened. Yeah. You know? And and it's not that I'm not a fan of sequels. They're okay. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're all right. Yeah. Uh, like some of the Poltergeist, you know, uh, right. Poltergeist yeah. the original is the best, I think. Some of the other ones, some are okay, but not, you know. And when Heather O'Rourke passed away, very tragic, mm-hmm. uh, young girl, you know, she was about my age at the time when she died. You know, that's just kind of ruined it. They should have just stopped it right there, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes, you know, since Hollywood, it's like, you know, you've got something that you can capitalize on and, you know, you just try to do that and it doesn't always work. And the real horror fans are going to stick to the true, you know, idea. You can tell when someone's passionate about their project, like Tom Holland was with the original Fright Night with yeah. Child's oh, yeah. Yeah. It's people that don't deviate from what their belief is. And yeah. I think when it comes to the big studios, Hollywood, I think they have a formula. Um, I think it's said that um, they take whatever a, a movie made and uh-huh. um, the sequel, if you make it, uh, traditionally will bring in 75% of the movie that came before it. So they'll crunch the numbers and they'll say, well, we made this horror movie and it made us, you know, it made us $20 million. So if we do a sequel and 75% of that, that's $15 mil- Okay, okay, we can do that. And then they keep, they keep going kind of off of that formula until they're, you know, it's, it's just not that, making them anything. It's dry. Yeah, that sounds right. But, and then there've been, you know, Corey, there've been some movies that I've loved and thought to myself, Oh, I hope they make a sequel. They never do. Yes. But that's, that's how it always happens. Because if yeah. they do make one, I probably would hate it. They might and screw it up. Yeah. I mean, at the time I'm thinking, Oh, they should make a sequel. Oh, I hope they, I mean, uh, an example is event horizon. I love that. Yeah. movie. I thought that Lawrence Fishburne is great. I mean, I thought that was a great movie. I mean, and it kind of at the end, it, it led way to a sequel. You know, there's some movies. Oh, yeah. That, and you're kind of like, ooh, can't wait. And no, it doesn't have. But you know what? If it did, it probably wouldn't be as great. So I I commend them for going out with integrity and their beliefs and, and leaving a mark, you know. Yeah. For people to talk about that. So, Yeah. yeah. And now I hear there's a hostile part three on Netflix. I have yet to see it. My sister, who lives in Colorado, called me and said, "Oh, it's so great!" And so I'm like, "Oh, okay." I have yet to see Hostile Part Three. Uh, I will see it just because I see every horror movie that I can, yeah. and I own Hostile One and Two, so it'll be okay. interesting to see Hostile Three. All I know is it happens in Vegas. That's not a spoiler. That's all. Oh, I really? No, I haven't yeah. seen that yet either. So that's in the states. Yeah, so that'll be interesting to mm. see. So yeah. huh. I'll let you know my view on that. <laughs> so. yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, back to Stephen King. I mean, yes, yeah. The Shining is probably one of the most uh, prolific movies he's ever done. That and Pet Cemetery. I mean, I oh, well, and Carrie. I don't know. I have so many. I can't. Yeah. But they're making also- uh, another uh, Carrie, um, remaking it again. I did that. that. Yeah, yeah, I heard they're, they're looking for the actors. That I heard Lindsay Lohan's in the mix for. Oh. Different- oh wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could not see. Or is Carrie with the with the hair color that she has, the red yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, she could she could probably pull it off, you know, if she holds herself together personally to be able to, you know, finish with the shoot yeah. and you know not fall apart and right. you know, so <laughs> that poor girl Actually, is just oh has so many issues. I've it's, never met the girl. I know. I've just seen whatever in the tabloids, and the only thing I, can, I mean, I mm, I feel bad for stuff she's going through that's self destructive. Yeah. But same time, no one knows, including myself. You know, I don't know what it's like to be that famous as a child. You know, when she did Parent Trap, yeah. as right. a little girl, to be raised in that kind of. So, 
who are we to judge? I don't know. And but, who know, I mean, you can't believe everything you read. I mean, like you said, you see tabloids, you see a lot of, you know, yeah. stories on the Internet and pictures. <laughs> of course, they take the least flattering pictures they possibly can and put them up and with whatever headlines. So it's like, well, who knows? I know. There have been things that were submitted to IMDb on my quote-unquote trivia that were not true that I had to – they were removed from IMDb. Oh, really? Um, Right, so the things on trivia on me, they're true, they're they're real. Mm -hmm. Anything that's on trivia, but it was just interesting to go. Really, I don't have any children, but okay. Or you know, different <laughs> things that wow. I'm like, oh, who submitted that? But the thing with that, it's almost like Wikipedia. Yeah. Um, you cannot. IMDb is, is very secure in terms of movie credits. I mean, they see you. Know, you can't. You can't just be somebody's guy. I mean, no, you have to have a certain form. I mean, they are stringent, but. When it comes to trivia, you know, uh, that's the more you, you really have to fight. I mean, and not even fight that. I shouldn't say that. IMDb is great about it. If you're the person, you say that's not, they boom, it's off. Yeah. I mean, that's no problem. It's not like Wikipedia. But, yeah, that was interesting to hear some. I was like, oh, where do I live now? <laughs> I was like, well, um, I mean, nothing bad at all about Yeah, like, just, just completely just, inaccurate, like not right. All that I was like, no. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Somebody was bored and they're like, hey, we're yeah, just going to start yeah. filling stuff in on IMDb and see if they catch it. Well, I think she lives in Canada. Yeah. Really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I just try to keep that as accurate. I, I check my IMDb page on trivia, especially just to make sure that's that's accurate. But um, yeah. I don't do Facebook, you know. I do Twitter. Yeah. I have my Twitter, of course. I You're awesome my... on Twitter. Yeah, I like to talk to you there and... Thanks. I love my Twitter. I just, yeah. you know, I'm not averse to Facebook at all. I just don't have the time. Yeah. Facebook. I all sucks you in. Has, yeah. They say it sucks you in, and I'm like, oh gosh, I don't need. Yep. Twitter's hard enough. <laughs> yeah. You know? So. So uh, of course, yeah. So we both love The Shining. Of course, it yes. is so scary without being overly gory and 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 real explicit. I mean, they're just creepy things. They're just in this huge hotel. Which for most people, you know, you look at it and you're like, that would be actually really, really cool. I would love to be in this great big fancy hotel, have the whole thing to myself. I got the run of the kitchen. I can stay in any room that I want to. I can, I can, I have the run of the place. Um, but we see that that maybe is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, right. It's almost for every luxury there's a consequence. Yeah. Like not everything is what it seems. I mean, the Overlook Hotel. In the Shining, uh, I believe the real hotel is in Oregon. I'm pretty sure. Okay. Um, and I mean, it was filmed in a real hotel. Yeah. So, um, but the way it kind of goes through, it's almost like this learning curve. Yes, you've got these luxuries, but you're going to pay a price for it. Mm -hmm. You know. And the scariest thing about it is, it's so psychological. It could really happen. This happens to people. Well, absolutely. Cabin, you know, which mm -hmm. Eli Roth did a movie of Cabin Fever. That was the title. Right. You know, uh, although not the same preface, but cabin fever happens. It's a, it's a real yeah. thing. And that's what's so scary. This could really happen. Mm -hmm. You know, you take this person who's a recovering alcoholic. He's already right. facing his own demons internally. Yeah. You know, anytime you're getting over any kind of drug addiction, I, I would surmise that you would have problems with that. And then you're mm -hmm. locked in this isolated place with no outside communication all but a radio with one guard, yeah. and, uh, you know, so he's fascinating and he's, yeah. you know, and, and he plays that spinning into madness extremely well. And I think that's what scares people is that they can see themselves in that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Someone going through any kind of hard time in their life, whatever it may be. It doesn't even need to be a drug addiction. It can be anything. And people can snap. Yeah, it's going to trigger whatever. I mean, we all have our demons, everything. Right. We all have our, our vices and the issues that we wrestle with. And right. when we're put into that kind of a situation and the whole cabin fever effect starts to get right. to you, it's just going to draw those problems out. And for, you know, for, for this guy, it was his alcoholism and his abusive kind of tendencies. And, you know, for, for somebody else, it could be something completely different. Right. Um, and uh, But it's just these circumstances drawing that yeah. out of you. Well, and a good analogy that I just thought of, actually, because I experience this a lot, I'm sure you have too, when you're driving in your car by yourself for a long period of time, you just start to think of stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, if you're not listening to the radio, you just, and you're not thinking about anything bad or good, you're just, your mind's just going, because you're by yourself, and you're driving, you're on an open road, you're just thinking, and yeah. can you imagine being stuck in a place where you're isolated, and all you can do is think for months and months, I mean... You know, if, if you have something good going on in your life, it probably wouldn't affect you. But if you're going through a hurdle or you're going through something depressing in your life, that can just yeah. spiral you down. And that's kind of the realism of The Shining. I think Stephen King delved into the psyche of the human being and said, you know, this is how people go crazy. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's very realistic and it's a psychological thriller and it plays on the part of, of you know, of everybody. So I think Absolutely. it's a great Great film. Absolutely. Great film. You are dead on. That was that was a, a <laughs> great insight into that. But no, that's what it is. It's all very psychological and it just it that's what good horror does to you. It gets oh, yeah. into your mind, into your head, and it's it messes with you and it, it really it's the kind of thing it sticks with you. And I know for me, I mean scenes uh, from The Shining just stick with me. And I think when you say the shining, they're just boom, 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 bunch of images that pop into my head that uh, man just uh, won't leave. And continue yes. to terrify me to this day. So yes. that's good horror. I have to bring something up, Corey, because um, like you said in the beginning, we've done, this is our second take. Yeah. I do on the first take that I liked the movie The Burbs with Tom Hanks. It's oh, yeah. I wrote that down. I'm actually, uh, we're going to watch it. We're going to watch okay. it. Okay. You're going to have to let me know when you and your wife see that. She's going to love that. I will. I will. Yeah. That's, that's uh, funny. Yeah, that's something. That's that's one of those ones I remember. um because I think we're we're about the, the same age, roughly, and uh, I, I just remember going to the video store and looking at all the VHS tapes and just looking at the covers. Like the covers were always so so cool. And that's something yeah. I really miss nowadays. But uh, I always remember the Burbs being one of those covers because it's Tom Hanks standing there, you know, and and it's one of those ones that that really sticks with you. And I'm always like, huh, that looks really cool. But it, I, of course, it's just one of those that I never ever picked up uh, you're gonna love it you're gonna love it and, and you know i liked Corey feldman a lot in a lot of the 80s movies and yeah still to this day i know he's he's really trying to um to his credit uh get back on top of his career he's a talented yeah. actor very talented i i wish the best for him i really do because he he I, I looked up to him as an actress back in the day i mean i still do i think he's great mm -hmm. he just was typecast i believe you know yeah. I believe he'll get his life back in track. But he was in the verbs and he was phenomenal. I mean, just, and with Tom Hanks, I mean, yeah. I mean, what movie with Tom Hanks do you not like? Yeah. And I think Corey Feldman was pretty much in every movie that came out in the 80s, any horror movie that came out. Yes, that was his genre, which I love. Yeah. You know? yeah. I mean, Lost Boys. I mean, he just, yeah. I mean, Friday the 13th um, part, uh, what was it, part three or four or eight. something he was in? Uh -huh. And, uh, yeah, so just uh, super was, cool. 
Yeah, yeah, he was great. He's got I a mean, great name too. Great first name. I just I, have to yeah. say, you know, that's yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the Burbs is great. I can't wait for you to see it. Cool. Tweet me. Let me I know will. Oh, definitely, definitely. Now, I have kind of a, a an off-the-wall question here, kind of put sure. you on the spot, because we actually didn't do this during the first take. Okay. But uh, being we're talking about Stephen King and your love of Stephen King and his books and then his, his movies, has there ever been a Stephen King movie that you've really been disappointed with, maybe didn't like at all? Um, maybe it was a lot weaker than all the other ones. Um, yeah. Um, I would have to say... Oh, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> Stephen King movies. Okay, I'm gonna get so many people mad for this. I just know, but I love controversy. So uh-huh. <laughs> it's actually not a movie. It was made into, I believe, a miniseries. Well, it was like four part. It was The Stand. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Because okay. I loved the book. The book's awesome. Yeah, I loved yeah. the book. Yeah. But and I liked they put Molly Ringwald in there, which is great. I think she's a great actress, but. It had nothing to do with the actors, the actresses. It had nothing to do with the direction. It was a good, but they split this up into a little mini series. It, it's yeah. to me, it work, they should now. Even if they would have condensed it into a three-hour movie, yeah. I think that would have been great. Would have been great. But the fact that they broke this up onto a made-for-TV, I was like, really, Stephen King deserves more respect than that. I mean, the carnage that was in the novel was not depicted on the show, and. Justifiably, because this was a, a network show. Yeah. Um, you know, I, yeah, I was disappointed in that. You, you cannot water down a Stephen King book. You just can't. Yeah, you know? it's rough. I mean, that book is so epic, too. I mean, it banks on the length and just the drawn out stories that are going yeah. on there and the final meetup at the end. I mean, that's, it, yeah. it just delivers so wonderfully in that book. That was about and, with evil. And I mean, it, it's yeah. got all the elements of a great. You know, yeah, I was a little disappointed, and and just in the adaptation, of course, not in the book. Love the book, yeah. yeah. Uh, but just in the way that they they did it, it should have yeah. been a movie, should have been a feature. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, no, that that's totally cool. I uh, I haven't seen it for a lot of years. Uh, I do remember I did enjoy it, um, but uh, again, does it hold up? Would I enjoy it now? I I don't know. Um, but uh, for me. Uh, there actually been a couple. I've seen a lot of his movies, and I just, you know, I look at his great, great movies like The Shining, Pet Cemetery, Carrie, and uh, The Dead Zone, you know, movies like that that are so, yeah. so good. And it's, man, there are some movies that to me just pale in comparison to those. And so maybe it's an unfair bias that I have that I think are you should. Just, are you, are you going to say, are you gonna say it? No, I loved it, actually. Okay. <laughs> I, I thought Tim Curry was brilliant. In that yeah. in, in that movie, that uh, that clown, the way Pennywise, yeah, I yeah, still Pennywise. see that in my nightmares. Yeah, you know, I know. that yeah. along with the poltergeist clown. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. But I did not like Stephen King's uh, The Langoliers, uh, the oh, adaptation yeah. they did of that. That was pretty. I forgot about that one. Crappy right. with uh, Balky from Perfect yeah, Strangers yeah. being the the bad guy. You know, it didn't uh, work. I'm glad you brought that up. I forgot about um, that. And there was another one that I was thinking. Oh, The Lawnmower Man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, that one was weird because that supposedly was an adaptation of one of his short stories from, like, uh, Graveyard Shift or something like that. Oh, yeah. And yeah. But it had nothing to do with that at uh, all. Because in, like, Graveyard Shift, or in, uh, yeah, in Graveyard Shift, The Lawnmower Man is all about this guy who is hired to come mow this guy's grass 
And so the guy says, okay, go ahead, mow his grass. And the guy goes in his house and he goes out a little bit later and the guy has taken off all of his clothes and he's like mm -hmm. hovering and he's eating the grass and doing all these weird things. And mm -hmm. it's just like a crazy little snapshot, you know, kind of flash little story. And the right. lawnmower man. They extrapolate into a whole movie that was just. It, it has yeah. to do with like the cyber thing with really bad 3D graphics and, <laughs> and stuff that no, doesn't no. hold up. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that reminds me of 1408. Um, hmm. that was in a... I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't? With John no. Cusack? No, I haven't. Okay, uh, you need to see that. Now, it is a good oh. movie. However, if you read, it's a short story. It, um, the Stephen King book is called After Sunset. Okay. Uh, and it's a novel with like 14 of his shorts, including The Black Cat or The Cat from Hell. Okay. Uh, and, and all these different... Okay, and 14.8 is one of those short stories, but... It got extrapolated into this whole movie. And John Cusack does an epic job in this. Oh, my gosh. It's such a great – it's almost reminiscent of The Shining. It's, it's like one person in a hotel room. It's it's so good. However, it deviates so much from the short story. Oh, like, Well, crazy. it doesn't deviate. It, it takes a short story and extrapolates into something bigger. Like it should have been a novel in itself. Kind of adds a bunch of stuff to it. And, right. Know. And don't get me wrong. The movie's great. I like it. Mm. But it does not – mesh as much with yeah. the shit story. Yeah. So, uh, John Cusack's one of my favorite actors. I mean, yeah, I love well, that guy and I, I have a hard time believing he can screw up any role that he, he does. I mean, it's just, uh, that's, I, and I the crazy thing about 1408 is, is if you actually, I don't know if, if it's on a rental or not, I own it, but on the, the one that I own, the DVD, there's an alternate ending, which I'm sure it has it on the rental. I'm sure. Yeah. But the alternate ending is totally different and I liked it better the original, but it was really? the really? test audiences said that it was too depressing and too gruesome, so they changed it to the softer version. Oh. And I like the original. I mean, I'm not sadistic, but I thought that was better. That's so. I love dark endings too. I like yeah, the thing. I don't I, like them walking off into the sunset and I'm all happy and everything. You know, come like, on, make it interesting. Yeah, you go through hell and back, and you're gonna be fine. I don't think so. Yeah. But <laughs> but yeah, that's a good movie, 1408. But it it disappointed me in terms of how it did not mesh with the. Short story, you know, uh, in a novel, probably. And The Cat from Hell, I'm sure you remember, was that a Tales from the Dark Side movie? I or think Tales so. Yeah, or, yeah, I think. Um, you know what I'm talking about, right? With the old man and the black cat. Yeah, yeah, I know. Was that Tales from the Dark Side? I'm trying to. It, or Tales from the Crypt. Or Tales from the Crypt, um, maybe is what I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. um, I can't oh, remember. Either. I know it's one of them. Yeah, but there, there's just been so many things uh, made so many movies made off of short stories. And am I wrong? Are they making, um, something or planning to make a, a story of, uh, under the dome? Ooh, I, I thought I might've read something. Cause that would be really cool. I love that book. Yeah. I own that book. Um, I don't know that. I, I don't know. That's the first I've heard is from you. So you may have breaking news. I oh, don't know. Or maybe completely <laughs> making it up and wrong here, you know, which is totally possible. Um, we'll have to research that and put that on here to make sure we're right because that would be yeah. cool. I don't know. I own that book and it's a great book. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I could be wrong, but I I thought I read somewhere that they were at least considering it or something. Someone was maybe writing a screenplay or something. Did you ever read the book called The Cell by Stephen King? Yeah, that's kind of a zombie kind of book. Right. Of. Yeah. Right. And there was a movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it. it's on Netflix or it was months ago called Pontypool. Pontypool's awesome. Yeah. Okay. That's kind of along the same same lines, the same theme there. Yes, and I yeah. thought of that the whole time. I was like, this is Stephen King's The Cell. Like, I kept 
Yeah. You know, in my mind, I was like, that is this book and this movie. You know, I just I wasn't sure. But yeah, because yeah, Cell came out, I, I believe, before Pontypool. Now, I have to look because I know Pontypool was actually a series of books. There's like two or three books that the movie was actually based off of. And I think they're they're trying to do a sequel. Um, but uh, I have to see which came first. And if they're like, oh, did they read Cell and, you know, kind of really like that idea and yeah, yeah, take it up into Canada and this really weird isolated radio right. station. And, uh, but that was a great move. I mean, Pulp yeah. was a zombie movie. I mean, those are zombies. Yes. Am I right? I mean, they're they're a different kind of zombies because they have the whole language thing going on. But right. I've, I've talked to some people and they're like, those aren't zombies. That's not a zombie movie. Yeah, it is. They're just emulating our voices. That's all yeah. they're doing. Is emulating a human voice into whatever it is that they hear. That's a zombie. Yeah, uh, oh, totally. And it's creepy. So, yeah, uh, I saw that as a zombie movie. Definitely. Oh, yeah. awesome. Awesome. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I don't know if you know this about me, but zombie movies to me are overall the most awesome kind of horror. They scare me more than any other like subgenre. Are you more of a fast zombie or a slow zombie? Oh, I'm totally Romero slow. There no, you go. I'm not MTV at all, you know. Yeah. I man, man, that creeping death, <laughs> that slow is going to get you eventually. You know, you can run and you can hide, but you know what? It's not just going to be one or two zombies coming after you eventually. It's going to be like a thousand. And yeah, you might be able to get into the Monroeville Mall. Actually, I grew up going to the Monroeville Mall as as a child. Uh, oh, okay. Is that where you grew up? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I grew up just outside of Pittsburgh, and so my parents used to take me to the Monroeville Mall. I went skating on that ice rink, you know, and I remember those stores and just how the mall used to look. And now it's completely different because they've remodeled and changed things. But uh, no, it's like uh, you know, and it's the same kind of theme we were talking about in The Shining, as in Dawn of the Dead, where they get into this mall and it's just like anything they want at all they can have. Yeah. And uh, but they find out it's again it's like it not. Comes Comes yep. at a price. Exactly. exactly. That's when I see to be sure it probably is. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Definitely. But that's uh those are good flicks. I mean, and the zombies, the slow zombies, you must have liked Shaun of the Dead because it gets to throw oh. records. It's awesome. <laughs> it's awesome. That made my top ten for sure. Oh, I love Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. yeah. It did Stephen the... King Stephen King himself made a review. I don't know if you it's on the back of the if you own Shaun of the Dead, his quote is back there saying it's one of the best movies of all time type of thing. Oh yeah. Stephen gave it two thumbs up, you know. Uh, I'm sure Mr. King was thinking I should have written this. <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. But that was brilliant. You know, it's it's hard to do a really, really good zombie comedy. Um but I think Shaun of the Dead did it perfectly. Um yeah. and it was just so brilliant. And I just I, I love British horror in general, you know, I'm a big Monty <laughs> Python kind of kind of guy and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. So I appreciate that and I, I love their nuances and their their brand of humor. And especially when you weave it into a great zombie film because the zombies look cool and gruesome and and uh, there's a, a good bit of violence and shocking scenes in there. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, yeah, totally cool. But uh, yeah. awesome. Well, Priscilla, this was fantastic again That's talking nice. tonight. And, uh, anytime, anytime at all. I had a blast. Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, the, people can get a hold of you on Twitter. You got an IMDb page, and we're going to be putting all these links up. Of course, the the trailer to uh, El Kikui and yes. uh, anything and else. Yeah, bad. Uh, yeah, bad kids go to hell. So. Um, well, and I now have a, a fan site email address that I'm nice created on my Gmail. So 
because I still use AOL for my personal. It's so weird, I know. I'm, I really think there's probably five executives at AOL just praying I'm going to get off it so they can retire. But <laughs> I, so I created it. Oh, that's funny. Um, but I respond to those emails as well. So, oh, yeah. yeah. So I'll have my Gmail, my, my Twitter, and the two trailers for Back It's Go to Hell and Uncle Cooey. And so, yeah, so I'm excited they should be coming out soon. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I look forward to keeping up with you and finding out when everything is uh, coming out, and of course how how all the festivals go for you. And yes, I'm so excited to be in LA in a couple months, and yeah, I'm just it's going to be great. I'm so excited. Awesome. Well, good luck to you, Priscilla. Again, yeah. thank you for talking with me tonight. It's been a blast, and uh, let's do this again soon. Anytime. All right. Have Thanks. a good night. You know a place back down the road called Beekman's? Beekman's Diner? Anyhow, that's where I found that truck I have out there. There's a radio in the truck. I had jumped in to listen to it when a big gasoline truck came screaming right across the road with it must have been 10, 15 of those things chasing after it, grabbing and holding on. I didn't see them at first. I could just see that the truck was moving in a funny way. And those things were catching up to it. The truck went right across the road. I slammed on my brakes to keep from hitting it myself. It went right through the guardrail. I guess. I guess the driver must have cut off the road into that gas station by Beekman's Diner. It went right through the billboard, ripped over a gas pump, and never stopped moving. By now, it's like a moving bonfire. Didn't know if the truck was going to explode or what. Still hear the man screaming. This thing is just backing away from it. I looked back at the diner to see if, if there was anyone there who could help me. It was when I noticed that the entire place had been encircled. There wasn't a sign of life left, except by now there were no more screams. I realized that I was alone with 50 or 60 of those things, just standing there, staring at me. I, I started to drive. I just plowed right through them. They didn't move. They didn't run or just stood there staring at me just wanted to crush them. They scattered through the air like bugs. Now tonight, I got a welcome to the electric chair, a Bram Stoker award-winning author, who is also one of the headlining authors in uh, the Gothic Blue Book, which uh, I just reviewed you know, several episodes ago, and it was fantastic. But I welcome John Everson to the show tonight. John, thank you for taking time to speak with me here. Hey, thanks for having me to the chair. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I hope, uh, you know, you get through it all right, that you're not too, uh, you know, not too many volts are pumped through you that, uh, you know, you, you still come out. Okay. So <laughs> that's, 
Always a pleasure to be fried. Oh, good, good, good. Well, this is a, a big honor for me. You're um, a very talented author. You've, uh, you know, like I said, award-winning, very prolific. Uh, you've written uh, so much. And, in fact, you've just released your sixth novel called Nightwear, which is currently you can get it, of course, uh, in ebook format on the Kindle and the Nook and, and things like that. And the trade paperback is coming here in the fall. So... Um, let, let's just start uh, talking about Nightwear, and then, of course, we'll get into to other things after that. But uh, what's Nightwear all about? Well, Nightwear is it, it's an erotic horror novel, so if you're uh, a little scared of sex, you, you want to stay away from this one. <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's actually a book that I've wanted to write for like 10 years. When I was finishing up Covenant, my first novel, I first thought of the idea and said, that's a little hardcore for me. That, that's kind of racy. I don't know if I can approach that. And so I kind of... <laughs> Yeah, I, I did other things. I did a sequel to Covenant. I did a couple other books. Um, and then I finally came back to it. I'm not sure that I'm any more mature now than I was then, but, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I gave it my best shot. Um, so Nightlayer is basically about uh, a married couple, Ray and Mark, who have a different kind of relationship. They're swingers uh, because Ray is a woman who simply can't get enough, but Mark is okay with her, you know, going out and playing the field as long as she always comes back with him. So it's kind of a different uh, marital relationship. But they uh, frequent these kinds of clubs and come across this mention of nightwear. It's like this mysterious sex club where it only appears in, you know, it's only in one spot per month. Um, It's never in the same spot. You have to have an invitation to get there uh, because otherwise you don't know where it is. And it's supposed to be the ultimate in sex and BDSM kind of clubs. So, of course, Ray is ecstatic. She wants to get in. And they get an invite. But Nightwear, of course, this is a horror novel, is uh, far more than just a sex club. And uh, there is the entryway, which is the blue room, which is kind of your usual kind of swingers club. Plus, they've got bands there. they got a bar. They've got people, you know, getting down on the floor doing whatever they want but then there's this place called the red which is a little more hardcore where people go for pain and whips and chains and that kind of thing and of course ray wants to get into that and mark uh, really would rather she doesn't and is warned by somebody that if he really values his wife he'll take her away from there now that doesn't happen and thus you have a novel called nightwear because it's all about mark trying to save his wife from going deeper and deeper inside Oh, wow. The sex and horror thing, it's, uh, you know, some some touchy grounds uh, that you're that you're treading on there. You know, especially, you know, you haven't always done. Is this your first, like, foray into erotic horror? Like you said, you, you've kind of dabbled in it before. You kind of approached it a little bit before. But is this your first, like, full-on erotic horror work? Um, it's the first full-on that's dealing with sort of the BDSM kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um that's that's not my scene, um, but you know I'm always I always found it interesting that people did that. So I was very that was part of the reason I was cautious to go into it is you know I'm not uh, one of those people I don't go to those clubs so you know I didn't want to misstep and do the wrong things but hmm. really it's it's not about that per se um, you know that's the background but the story is really something else the story is you know the the slowly uh, uh, devolving decline basically, uh, of a relationship and 
you know, what lengths to, will you go to save it? But my big concern in writing Nightwear 2 is that in using these kinds of characters as lead characters, I mean, most people are probably not going to be necessarily sympathetic to them. Um, I don't right. think most married couples are, are going off to sex clubs and letting each other play the field. So that was, you know, I was a little concerned readers might not respond well to that. But so far, the reviews have been really good on it. Um, and it's not so you asked if it's my first erotic horror. Really, I've had a, eroticism in a lot of my horror. Um, Cage of Bones, my first collection, all of those short stories pretty much had some element of erotic horror to them. Um, and that sort of plays throughout my books. There are pieces. Uh, this this uh, book in particular, I think, probably will interest people who really love my novel, The 13th, which ends up being sort of a blood orgy for the last third of the book. <laughs> um, so I've been in this arena before, but not in this way. Yeah, yeah. But, but to me, it sounds like it's actually much more horror than it is just eroticism that uh, you know you're really selling a sex book that just has some horror in it it's actually a horror book that is just very erotic at the same time am i am i hitting the nail on the head there or am i close that's exactly it. yeah cool cool no i think you know i think people who love horror and love the racy kind of uh uh what do they call those books um now i'm gonna blank out there's a whole series of anthologies hot blood mm-hmm um, so people who love the Hot Blood series, you know, they would love this book. Um, and likewise, I think, you know, there's probably a lot of people who read erotica who like the occasional dark read. And so, you know, I think they'd be sucked into this, too. But it's definitely more on the horror side. Yeah. And, you know, you're talking about whether people are going to be sympathetic towards your your lead characters in here. But uh, I think people will be attracted to it because there's a certain curiosity about this lifestyle. And, uh, you know, a certain kind of kind of you're you're going into the underbelly of, of kind of this whole sex culture. And, you know, people might be a little curious to find out about these people. And I, I think they're going to they're going to kind of feel for them that way uh, and that they're they're learning about this whole thing. Because, like you said, most couples out there aren't involved in swinging and, and going to these clubs and things like that. But again, you know, people are curious, you know, it's kind of like, huh. You know, we're kind of getting a peek at uh, something a little racy here. So, you know, I think that may be part of the attraction here. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping. We're all we're all a little fascinated with uh, what sins the other commits, right? Right. So even if we're not going to go there yet, I'd like to peek behind the curtain a little and see, really? Really? You do that? Really? <laughs> exactly. So, uh, no, but this is really great. Your sixth novel. And again, you know, I'll, I'll put all these links up on my website and, uh, you know, definitely, uh, I'm going to plan on checking it out here at some point, even though, you know, I've said in the past, you know, the whole mixing sex and horror thing isn't necessarily my, my favorite kind of sub genre or whatever you want to call it. Um, because, uh, you know, I like to keep my love and my horror kind of separate, you know, and that's, that's the kind of guy I am. <laughs> but, but uh, you know, definitely I'm open to it and, and, and to giving things a chance and, to, um, you know, I can appreciate art that's well done. So um, and if if the work that I've read of yours is any indication of uh, the kind of quality that I'm going to see in this and, and other works that I haven't read of yours so far, then I'm sure I'm in for something that's very, very good because... Um, I read your, uh, your, your short in uh, the Gothic Blue Book, which was The Tapping. And uh, even before we started communicating and things, 
this is one of my favorites uh, in that collection. Um, it was really, really great. Um, so I saw a very, um, I, like I was reminded of the Telltale Heart in it a little bit, like it, that kind of influence where, you know, the tapping on the window is kind of like the beating of the heart. So was there kind of like a Poe kind of influence going on there? Oh, absolutely. And thanks for, for your praise of the story. That, that story was originally written probably five or six years ago for a live Halloween reading um, in Chicago. Oh, and, wow. And absolutely. It was, it was an ode to Poe. Um, you know, the, uh, the Telltale Heart in particular, the, the tap, 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 constant repetition of that phrase. Um, and I wanted it to do well as a live reading in particular, since that, that was the purpose. So it had to have sort of that nice, repetitive thing that draws the audience in that you can accentuate more and more as it goes on. Um, it's, it's a fun story to read aloud. Wow. I would, re- I would love to hear that read live. I, I'm so jealous. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm bummed out that I wasn't there to hear that. I'm sure it was fantastic. There's, there's actually somewhere, um, I assume it's still online. I haven't looked in a long time. I had linked from my site at some point. Um, somebody did a, a podcast sort of live reading of that. It wasn't me uh, or someone else, but it may be out there. It might've come down by now. I'm not sure. Wow. Wow. I'm going to check that out. I'll, uh, I'll do a search here and see if I can find that. Cause, uh, it is something that, uh, is very, the rhythm that you wrote in the words and just the way you wrote it, you know, it's, it's a very, now that I'm thinking about it and you say that it's a very vocal sort of piece. It's meant to be read aloud. You know, there's a certain rhythm there. Um, and I, I read through it again before the show here, just to kind of re-familiarize myself with it a little bit. And, uh, I, I picked up on that. Again, just uh, there's there's a very good you're, you're you got a mastery of the craft here that uh, is very very good. Thank you. So I can't wait to read some more of your stuff. So let's talk about uh, you know other things you've done. You know you got five novels before this and like a ton of shorts. Um, you know and we can get into dark arts books of course. Um, just uh, well tell me about uh, some of your other novels um, which have gotten a lot of praise. Uh, you've won some awards, been nominated for a lot of awards. So, uh, but it kind of, what's your career path, I guess, been leading up to this? Long, torturous. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it, it, it was long. Um, I started writing short fiction. Well, I wrote short fiction when I was in grade school and high school. But I mean, I started submitting it um, to little magazines in about 1993. So it's been just about 20 years. Um, and throughout the nineties, I, you know, I did all sorts of little dozens of short stories, um, for all these little, you know, hundred copy magazines where you got paid by them sending you a copy of the magazine you were in. Mm. And right around the end of the nineties, uh, delirium books was starting up and they said that they were going to do some short story collections. And I said, you know, I've published a lot of stuff. Would you consider collecting so my work, and they had published uh, one of my stories, Pumpkinhead, in Delirium Magazine, um, as well as The Mouth. Um, both of those stories ended up in my first short story collection that Delirium ultimately issued the next year, called Cage of Bones. Um, so that's the one I talked about earlier. It was it's a lot of erotic horror in there. Mm-hmm. Um, following during that whole period in the nineties, I started writing my first novel, Covenant, and I didn't. 
I don't know if I even knew it was going to be a novel when I first embarked on it, but uh, it was a story about a guy who goes to this small town to, to sort of escape his dark past, right? He's been, he's had a troubled career as a reporter in Chicago. He goes off to the coast and there's suicides going on off this cliff outside of town. He wants to write this story about it. He thinks it's like kind of a ring of teen suicide and everyone needs to be aware well, the townsfolk just shut him down. They don't want to talk about it. And, of course, that raises his reporter curiosity. Pretty soon he finds out, well, there's been a suicide off this cliff on the same date every year for 100 years. So it's not suicide, and it's not a serial killer, because the guy would have to be incredibly old, right? <laughs> so, so he knows something really weird and sinister is going on here. So Covenant ends up being the novel that follows this reporter in his search through the town and talking to people and trying to nail down what exactly is really got this town under its finger. Um, there was a sequel to that then called Sacrifice, which sort of goes the opposite direction. Covenant was kind of your claustrophobic small town horror, uh, supernatural occult kind of horror. Uh, sacrifice takes our reporter off on the road to get away from all that crap. And so once again, he's, he's on the run. Um, but this time he gets hooked up with a teenage girl who turns out to be able to talk to the dead. And, uh, this is no relation to that movie. <laughs> dead people. Uh, so I think it was actually written before that movie too. Um, but uh, the two of them are sort of a, a become a tag team. He doesn't really know her past and is a little suspicious. Um, she can talk to the dead. And there's also a demon who the reporter has been in contact with who is pushing them to chase down a woman called the Sunday Slasher, who is one of my favorite characters I've ever written. Her name's Ariana. She is a sexy serial killer. She uh, lures guys to hotel rooms, often in a black latex cat suit perhaps early shades of nightwear. Um, and her goal is to complete a cycle of homicides, sui- uh, murders, uh, to bring through a race of succubi demons to our world. If she completes this cycle of sacrifice, she'll end up being their queen. So that novel is sort of the race against time, you know, cross-country road trip from hell trying to chase down a serial killer who's more than just a serial killer. Oh, wow. Um, Those two books then both came out on Delirium in the small press in the early 2000s. And after right after Sacrifice came out, I got signed to Leisure Books on a two book deal to reissue those in paperback. Uh, Covenant by that point had won the Bram Stoker Award and Sacrifice was getting good reviews. So they signed me. Um, While I was waiting for those two books to be reissued, I sat down and wrote the 13th, which I talked about a little bit earlier sort of the mm-hmm. orgy of blood at the end but uh, <laughs> that is a fun fun book if you like over the top horror um because it's basically a guy who goes off to the to the backwoods mountains to uh practice his cycling he's trying to become an olympic cyclist so he's riding up and down the hills building up his endurance and he sees this old hotel that's been closed for 25 years has reopened outside of town and it's reopened as an asylum for pregnant women. So that's, you know, a little weird out of the way, uh, asylum for a very specific type of person. And lo and behold, women from around the town start disappearing, including his brand new girlfriend. So he and a rookie cop end up teaming up to try and find out, is this 
asylum really an asylum? What's going on? What's behind it? And why is there a big red X on the door that leads into the basement? And, you know, what are those rituals down there? Mm. So that was uh, my third novel. Leisure picked that up and then also signed me to write two more, uh, Siren and the Pumpkin Man. Siren was uh, one of my favorite novels, actually. I think that's probably my most personal book because that deals with a guy who's really at the end of his rope. Um, He saw his son drown the year before, and he couldn't save him. He's an aquaphobe, yet they live near the ocean. His son drowned in the waves, and uh, he now just walks the surf every night contemplating suicide. And then one night he sees this beautiful, sexy woman, nude, out on the uh, little sort of jetty going out into the water. She's singing, and it's hypnotizing. And then she dives off and disappears into the water, and he's afraid she's drowned. And he comes back, and he's looking for her the next couple nights. And sure enough, he finds her. And they start a relationship, which, of course, he should never start. Uh, because pretty soon he realizes, you know, I need to go back to my wife. She's drowning in emotion as well from the loss of our son, and I shouldn't be screwing around with a strange nude woman on the beach every night. Um <laughs> So he tries to break it off, and it kind of becomes a uh, fatal attraction with a mermaid kind of story. Wow. So, uh, and then the last one, finally, uh, before Nightwear, was The Pumpkin Man, which actually is being made into a independent film right now out in L.A. Ooh, it's awesome. That. Uh, they're still scripting it, but the production company that's doing it is doing the script. They're doing the production, so it's not like they're scripting it to sell to someone else. So it's going to get made. Awesome. Congratulations on that, man. That one's a little more uh, urban legend kind of horror where there's uh, this guy who's going around a small town on the coast and uh, replacing people's heads with jack-o'-lanterns that are carved in their perfect likeness. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, and we've got a couple of school teachers from Chicago who sort of inherit a house out in this town um, and are somehow connected with what's going on there, although they don't know it to start. They learn. Wow. Wow. I, I, I can't wait to go back and, and read some of this now. You, you've totally sold me on, on so much of this. It's, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that sounds great, man. Wow. How do you come up with all this stuff? I mean, where do you, did, you did, how do you find your inspiration? I mean, this is, this is a lot of, of diverse kind of stuff you're dealing with here. And, uh, so I don't know, do you watch a lot of movies? You read a lot of books or you just, I don't know. What do you do? You know, I, I mean, it comes from anywhere. The Covenant actually came from a newspaper article. Uh, way back when, uh, my boss at probably my second job um, pulled this clip that talked about a cliff in England, which was apparently the most popular suicide spot in England. And there's a bar at the top. And so people would like go up this cliff, have their last drink at the bar, and go leap off. Oh, man. Uh, and, you know, like that image just stuck with me. And probably nine months or a year later, I started writing this story about suicides off a cliff. It had nothing to do with the English bar at the top. But, mm. you know, that's what that's what got that going. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, I do watch a lot of movies. I read a lot of books. I, uh, you know, I grew up as a voracious reader, more of science fiction, really, than than horror. Um, mm. But. I just always wanted to sort of do what those people did. You know, they, they gave me so many interesting, weird places that I could explore, uh, you know, in my bedroom at 11 o'clock at night with the light on. Uh, 
<laughs> reading under the covers or, you know, whatever. And I just loved reading and I wanted to create books like those people did. So that's, that's really why I started writing. Awesome. Awesome. Who, who are some of your uh, favorite authors, either, you know, sci-fi or horror wise or whoever, who, who uh, do you read the most of, I guess? Growing up, it was probably, you know, Isaac Asimov, Clifford Simak, uh, Hal Clement, uh, Paul Anderson, all of those, Robert Heinlein, all the classic ones. Um, Bradbury, of course, who mm. just died recently. I read a lot of that stuff. I was, I was going through my old paperbacks just last week, so I went, now what Bradbury do I actually still own? <laughs> I do have Fahrenheit 451 and oh, uh, nice. Martian Chronicles on the shelf from when Beautiful. I was in school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so that sort of transitioned uh, probably in college when I started reading a little more Stephen King and Anne Rice and uh, Clive Barker. I really, really loved for a long time. And I got to interview him when I was a newspaper reporter myself. Cool. Which was way cool. Had tea with him at the Drake Hotel in Chicago one afternoon. Wow. Couldn't ask for a better situation. Wow. Uh, and he actually, uh, during that interview, he signed my copy of The Great and Secret Show and like put this big ornate drawing as uh, part of his signature. So that, that was neat. Wow. Wow. Mm. He, he's a great guy, I've heard. So it's... He really was cool. And mm. actually, when I won my Bram Stoker Award a few, many years later, really, um, for the first novel, I flew out to Los Angeles for that ceremony. And Clive was there. And so I've got a picture from that ceremony of the two of us, you know, arm in arm, which you know, is always cool for a horror author to wow. have oh, on the yeah. wall. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, since then, more recently, the people I've read probably the most have been uh, Nina Kariki Hoffman, who does amazing light magic fantasy stories. Um, you know, totally out of the horror arena. Although in her earlier career, she did write some, some creepy stories, but she has just an amazing wit and I love her books. Um, her and Charles DeLint, I read a lot of for fantasy, um, for horror, Edward Lee Barnon is any novel that comes out with Ed Lee on the spine. I will pick up and read. And usually I'll read it in a day or two, which is pretty fast for me. I don't have a lot of reading time, but when I pick up an Edward Lee novel, I cannot do anything else. Wow. I've never read an Edward Lee uh, novel. So all of a sudden you've, you've got me really interested in this. Uh, he's, you know, he's hardcore horror, but he has, uh, he has an amazing uh, grasp of language and characters and fun. I mean, he will write some, some of the most disgusting vile horror scenes you will ever read in your life. Um, so watch to see if you're going to pick up an Edward Lee, if it's one of his gross out books, you might not want to start there. Uh, but he also did, he'll do uh, some erotic horror stuff. Um, he did a series of books, uh, that I think start with, uh, is it, I always confuse them city infernal or infernal angel. Um, I never remember which one started the series, but, um, an amazing ride into hell. It's a goth girl who basically goes to hell. Wow. Uh, trying to get to her twin sister who committed suicide. So she's kind of on a savior mission. Cool. Those books are phenomenal. You absolutely, everybody who's ever read anything in the horror and dark fantasy arena should read at least the first novel of that series. Cool. I'm going to pick one up for sure and, uh, and read it because, uh, you've given it a great review here and I'm, I'm, I'm definitely interested. So, 
Awesome. Awesome. Well, I got a question for you. You know, we've been talking about a lot of horror and um, I, uh, I've been, uh, of course, perusing your website and going around and on your, I think it's on your about page, you, you have a picture of yourself wearing a Land of the Dead t-shirt. Um, and also you've, you've been featured in uh, the anthology, I think, uh, Best New Zombie Tales, uh, Volume 2, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, I'm, I'm a huge zombie fan as far as horror goes. Zombies are my favorite. I love zombie movies above all else. Um, so you've obviously written, you know, at least a, a zombie story or two, and you're wearing the land of the dead t-shirt, which is really, really cool. And I, I picked up on that right away. So where are you as far as zombies go? Would you call yourself like a, a zombie movie fan? I like zombie movies. I don't, you know, there's so many of them at this point. Uh, I don't race out to see them. Um, you know, as you heard from the novel descriptions, more more of what I'm doing is sort of supernatural horror mm-hmm. when I'm writing. Um, but, you know, there there are some really, really good zombie movies. Um, I think you could consider Feast a good zombie movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in fact, the Feast series is freaking amazing. Um, all three of them, they just top each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, I'll go to the opposite extreme and, and Fido is is a riot oh yeah uh, uh what's the the uh, uh is it dead alive the uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the lawnmowers on the lawnmower scene yeah yeah <laughs> you know there's yeah i i've seen a lot of zombie movies i'm looking at my shelf of dvds now i was like yep 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 there's 28 days there's a yeah so like zombie movies uh don't you know go crazy for them but Sure. Uh, and Land of the Dead actually is one of my favorites. Um, cool. You know, I, uh, Romero's great. Uh, the first one will never be beaten. Nobody will ever be able to top Night of the Living Dead in terms of mood and characters and everything else, uh, including the guy who made it. But Land of the Dead is fun. It brings in Aji Argento, who I yeah. love. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge Dario Argento fan, so. Ooh. Um, that that transfers to his daughter as well. I've seen most of the stuff she's done as well. Yeah. Uh, but uh, in terms of actually writing zombies, I haven't done that much. There's uh, there's three or four short stories basically. Mm. Yeah. Well, when you when you said that you don't rush out to see zombie movies, I totally don't blame you um, because it's such a huge thing right now. Like everybody who wants to make a horror movie, it's like the first thing they think of is, well, I'm going to make a zombie movie. And because they're kind of like the the easiest horror movies to make, you know, it's just a little little bit of makeup, you know, you you, you come to stumble around and you get some blood and throw that around and you got a zombie movie and uh, everyone's doing it. Um, so, yeah, there are a lot of really, really bad ones. But, um, you know, the, the gems are there, but they're hard to find in the sea of of horribleness. Um, and, and man, I wade in that sea a lot because I, I, I just know there are good things out there, but you just have to find them. So yeah, I, I, I don't blame you though for just not being really excited about the genre at this point in time. Cause you know, even, even Romero, I mean, after land, a diary was good. It had some great parts and I enjoyed it, but then survival, Oh, yeah, man. I was so unhappy that I bought Survival on Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> it was on sale, but still, I got home and watched it and went, yeah, I, I really don't need to own this on Blu-ray. <laughs> <laughs> well, on Blu-ray, I could imagine that you can really see the crappy CGI work like in, in amazing detail. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it's a weak story. Yeah, yeah, that too. The zombie riding the horse. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, wow. Because I, I've talked about this a lot on my podcast, but uh, Romero seems to be really, um, you know, pushing, emphasizing the evolution of the zombies. And what can zombies do? What can they learn? How far can they go? You know, he, he really started pushing that in land and and really, really in survival. I mean, he, he went, yeah. I think above and beyond where he should have. I think, actually, in 85, he, he took it as far as it should go with Bub. Um, and he left us with some questions, and he, he, he took the intelligent, quote, intelligent zombie uh, to, I think, that line where it was still acceptable, it was still, quote, realistic, if, if the whole zombie thing is even remotely realistic to begin with. But, you know... Right. And um, he left it, I think, at a great spot. And in Land, I think he was pushing it a little bit with Big Daddy Zombie, with, you know, the whole kind of leader zombie sort of thing. Eh, I don't know, but it was still a great movie, so I let it slide. But then, man, Survival came up, and this is like, he, yeah. he's off the deep end. I, I, just, I just did not understand what he was trying to do and, and or why he was trying to do it. Um, it was just way over the top for me. So I could, I could go off all night on Romero here with you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, the last two Romeros are, are definitely not among my favorites, but you know, I'm also the guy who totally hates Dawn of the dead. And that's a blasphemy. Blasphemy. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I, 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 you know, I watched that movie. I was like, really? The guy who did Night of the Living Dead devolved into doing blue face zombies having pie fights in a mall. <laughs> what the hell? You're you're actually one of the first people that I've talked to who hates Dawn of the Dead. And that's actually really interesting to me because Dawn of the Dead is my favorite movie of all time. You know, horror, zombie, whatever. Um, oh yeah, it's just lots of people. I get no end of flack whenever I actually say that. I love the remake way better. In fact, my wife and I just watched wow. the on cable the other night. It was like, you know, now this is what the original should have been. Wow, those are some bold words, my friend. Yeah. Was, uh, wow. <laughs> well, no, I can respect that though. Um, you know, for me, I'm a I'm a Pittsburgh native, pretty much. I, I grew up. Real close to Pittsburgh, I was, um, the zombie thing is really huge around here, and I went to the Monroeville Mall at that point in time. You know, when I was a kid, my parents would take me there, and so I was at the ice rink. I was in these stores, you know, and and seeing this place where I grew up and, and was walking around being ripped apart by zombies, you know, with blood and guts and everything exploding all over the place. Um, that was pretty shocking to me. At that point in time. And um, when I uh, when I saw this movie, I, I hadn't seen a lot of zombie movies up until then. So when you see these bites being taken out, you know, in the, in the first apartment scene, when that zombie takes a bite out of that girl's shoulder and they're taking bites out of people's arms and legs. And it, it's very graphic. Uh, people getting ripped apart and their guts just being pulled out. You know, that was that was crazy to me. 
I couldn't believe this, especially again in a place that was so familiar to me. So, uh, you know, it, uh, I think it affected me personally. Having the familiarity of place had to, I mean, that's, that's awesome on any movie. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also with, with Dawn, it probably, your acceptance of it probably has a lot to do with when you saw it in life as well. Yeah. Um, you know, you said it was one of the first, I had seen dozens and dozens of zombie movies by the time I finally got around to seeing Dawn of the Dead. So I was sort of old and jaded at that point. <laughs> I went, really? This is what everyone's been talking about? Um, I'm, you know, and I should give it another shot. It's been a few years since I actually watched the original. And I have uh, a copy of, there, there was a box set that came out. Which is that, is uh, Ultimate zombie. Edition? It's, like the, the huge, like, four-disc? Yeah, thing. and so yeah. it's got the uh the dawn cut that argento did so he re-edited it and i think he put in goblin music and it's nowhere near as comedic he hated the pie fighting scene you know that you were yeah, talking about yeah and that's what ruined it for me so i was th- i've i've always thought if i would just sit my butt down and watch the argento cut i'd probably love it a lot more because there were some really great effects for the time yeah um in the movie it was just ruined but for me by the comic relief yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. And again, even though you're busting on my my favorite movie of all time, I totally <laughs> respect that, and and that's cool. I mean, I I I know it. Um, and you know, you mentioned the remake, and I love the remake. And going into a remake of my favorite movie of all time, of course, I am not gonna, I'm not gonna take that very very well. You know, I'm gonna be very very skeptical. Um, yep. but uh, when it came out in the theater, I think I saw it like four times in the theater. It was just so much fun to me. So, uh, and I own the Blu-ray and everything, and it's uh, a great film. I, I watch it over and over again. But uh, again, it's the fast zombie thing that uh, we see going on here an awful lot. Um, but to me, I mean, it, so you think that fast zombies are scarier than the slow zombies? I mean, is that what I'm? I'm no, actually, here? I I think the slow zombies are the best. Mm. Uh, I'm still an original Night of the Living Dead. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Gambling, yeah. You know, I I know he did stuff in Night or in uh, Land of the Dead that you know it goes way beyond. You've got intelligent leaders, zombies, and everything else, and that's probably not what I liked about that. I just liked it was a good adventure movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, and then you know he brought the T-shirt uh, in my promo picture was something I wore all the time during my first book signings and it ended up being like my book signing uniform. So everyone started thinking I was like this huge monster Romero fan. Um, and that, that was the only shirt in my wardrobe. Take your pick. Um, neither was really the truth, but no. Uh, so yeah, I, I like the slow, spookier, creepier, brainless, but it's going to eat you zombie than, anything with intelligence or speed, which I think is unrealistic for something that's just been reanimated. Mm. Well, I agree. I agree. And, uh, this, the slow thing, you know, it, it may just be one or two that, yeah, you can push over, you can run through, you know, you can get away from, but as you keep going, it's not just going to be one or two. It's going to be like a hundred or a thousand and they're going to be knocking the walls down and getting you no matter what. And, yep. But it's just a matter of time, and they're creeping up on you. And How are you uh, on Reanimator? I love Reanimator. Brilliant, brilliant. I mean, it weaves in a little bit of comedy, 
which is which is really great and some some really great performances of course and very very gory um i i, I love it i love yeah. it um so uh you big uh you know reanimator combs yeah, I always, yeah. you know i always sort of forget to mention that if i'm talking about zombies but that's a that's a zombie movie mm-hmm. oh absolutely love those films yeah absolutely now one thing I'm a, I'm a little bit I I, I caught you uh, saying this a little bit earlier when we started talking about zombies, but uh, you mentioned 28 Days Later as part of uh, you know the whole zombie thing. Now that's hotly debated. Uh, some people are like those are not zombies; they did not come back from the dead, and that's kind of like one of the core foundational prerequisites prerequisites of being a zombie. Um, where do you fall? I mean, are are these infected things zombies in your book? I say they are. Yeah. Um, you know, they're no they're they're infected, they've lost all humanity and they look and feel like zombies to me. Um, you know, whether the the heart stopped beating for 30 seconds in between the change is kind of irrelevant. I mean, the original zombie is not dead. Um, the zombie comes from voodoo, which is really somebody who's just been put into a completely comatose state and can be then directed to do anything. There's no, um, we killed them and they came back from the dead. Hmm. It's They're funny. basically under a voodoo spell. Right. It's really funny going back in history to see how, how that term evolved. Um, because really the media has directed what the zombie is throughout the years you know especially um there was a lot when we see movies like white zombie from 32 you know even that you know back then the haitian culture the caribbean culture with their voodoo and everything that was it was very something new and something scary to america and so they exploited that and um, so there was this big media sensationalism and hyped up the zombie and it was these walking corpses. And uh, so that's how that started out. But then we get up to 1968. Romero makes these living, dead, flesh eating kind of things that we've never seen before. And actually, the media tagged these as zombies um, in the reviews. They called them zombies, even though George Romero never called them zombies to begin with. No. That term was never used, and you know, as far as he was concerned, at that point. But um, I've seen no, the original uh, newspaper reviews that said these are zombies, and that was the first usage of them applied to that film. It's really interesting, <laughs> and um, so it, you know, and even coming up through the years, and even now, the, the media, the the press people. The people doing PR for the movies like 28 Days Later and things like that call them zombies. And it's just funny because horror fans aren't necessarily the ones defining what the what the zombie is. You know, it's kind of the media. It's the hype around things. It's the reviews. It's pretty much anything but the movies themselves that are <laughs> defining the zombies, which is funny. But uh, yeah. that's uh, that's been the way it is. Well, that's, uh, you know, and that. In a sense, that's what the media does, right? Where they uh, chop things up, put them in boxes, and label them. Right. And you know, there are—that's who labels things for culture in, in a lot of ways. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. So, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop my whole zombie, you know, kind of thing we've gone off on here now. But I, I appreciate that you've uh, hung in there with me. But uh, well, and actually, I'll, I'll take you on one quick turn from yeah, is the one book that I have not mentioned yet that's just come out this month uh, tackles the vampire mythos. Hmm. It's called V Wars. Uh, Jonathan Maybury, who you oh. may have read if you're oh. a big zombie fan. I've met him and talked to him and everything. Great guy. Yeah. He is. Um, and I've I've known Jonathan for a few years now. We met at several conventions. Um, last year, he hit me up and said, hey, I'm doing this thing called V-Wars. It's going to be a shared world book. And the whole premise is that vampires really did exist. But they weren't, you know, some sort of magical dead creature. Um, they were a mutation. And the various cultures around the world have had these variants of vampires. So there's a, there's a stiff hopping style vampire that's in uh, the Oriental culture, I believe. Um, there's a vampire in Poland, I believe it is, that doesn't have teeth, but really just has stingers under its tongue. Um, it can actually be out in the daylight. Um, anyway, so there's all these various different cultural variants of the vampire long before Stoker, you know, sort of created his, or his uh, he basically crystallized one myth mm -hmm. and that's the one we all inherited. And many of the others have been forgotten. Right. So Jonathan's point was, these all existed, you know, a thousand years ago. They were ultimately sort of beaten out, but the gene was never completely beaten out. That would continue with humanity. Well, what if some sort of event happened that, you know, made this gene come back to the fore? Uh, so that's the premise of V-Wars. It's basically that, you know, something has happened that has triggered the gene to become dominant again, and some people mutate and turn into the various vampires of old cultures. So our mission is, uh, he, he asked um, seven of us to join him and do this book. It's, uh, it's out from IDW, uh, the same guys who did 30 Days of Night, and there are no, in, uh, any number of comic uh, things. Oh, but yeah. this is Rose Anthology. Um, so it was eight authors. We all took sort of this premise that we could go find a cultural vampire that we wanted to explore. We had to write a story around it and then connect it to Jonathan's sort of overarching world um, and tag in uh, a character or two that he had created so they would all sort of be working in the same time frame and have some connectivity there. Um, I wrote that my story last summer. I took uh, a Wordelac vampire i don't know if that's how you say it verdulac wordulac <laughs> which it's a russian vampire and i i was doing my research and i was like you know what i've never really written about vampires i did a couple of short stories much like zombies that's never mm. been my focus um but uh i started researching i was like wow there are a lot of different myths then i found this russian one the russian wordulac can only eat its family or loved ones you want to talk oh, about wow. a self <laughs> you know if you've got a small you're going to starve to death within the month yeah wow so um and that sort of is the is the gist of my story is okay so this uh reporter or not reporter she's a like a talk show host uh 
kind of a Jerry Springer uh, female version talk show host. Mm-hmm. And she turns. And, well, she's pretty egotistical, self-centered, doesn't have much family, doesn't have many friends because she's always been just trying to get ahead. And, uh, you know, how is she going to survive? And so my story deals with that. Anyway, V-Wars, um, interesting take on the whole vampire mythos. They're, you know, they're, they're real. They're sort of science-based rather than horror-based, but they certainly do horrific things. And uh, it's in Barnes & Noble now. I went off, uh, there's a picture on my Facebook. Um, just a couple of days ago, I went there with my wife and son, and we found, I was looking all over the store because I knew they had it, and I couldn't find it. I finally walk in, it's in the new and science fiction area, which I thought was really cool. I've never been in the science fiction show. Wow. It's noble with anything I've done before. <laughs> That's where it ended up. That is, sur- I mean, how surreal is that to waltz into Barnes and Noble and to see your your work sitting there on the shelf? I mean, that that's, you made it. Yeah, yeah, we did it. And, you know, it's a bunch of, bunch of great authors. I mean, I'm, I'm like the yeah. little guy at the totem pole. Um, Jonathan Mayberry led us all there. Um, but, you know, we've got Nancy Holder doing stuff in here, Yvonne Navarro, Scott Nicholson, James Moore, Keith uh, DeCandido, who's done a ton of Star Trek um, and Farscape tie-ins, um, Greg, Gregory Frost, and, oh, and the introduction, which I actually need to read, I haven't read it yet, um, is by uh, Dockery Stoker. Oh, wow. Yeah. Were, uh, yeah. He's been making the rounds lately. Yeah, he uh, wrote uh, the sequel to uh, uh, the original Dracula. Right. right didn't, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So, wow. So very cool project just came out this month. Wow. Last I, week. I love it. I'm going to I'm going to look that up. That's uh that's really interesting because I mean, you go back to the origins of the living dead, you know, because basically all these classic monsters that you see, uh, you know, the vampire, the werewolf, the zombie, so many of them when you get down to it they are living dead. You know, there's some sort of of being that has come back from the dead and possesses certain qualities depending on you know who you're reading who you're watching um and so many of the vampire werewolf and and zombie lore all come from so many of the same myths that are these these uh coming back from the dead and either drinking blood eating flesh shape-shifting in some sort of ways but everything's just kind of evolved from all of these different uh living dead mythos and uh i love you you seeing the uh the vampire thing especially and the different takes worldwide and being being addressed and interpreted and really woven together like you're doing that sounds like a lot of fun and and uh yeah if uh yeah send me the uh the the link to that i i would love to love to check that out and and certainly promote it that's uh, that's great awesome Awesome. Well, you mentioned, you know, the, the Vertilac, Vertilac, what, you know, however you say it. And that, that just kind of rung a bell with me. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, I've heard that before. Where did I hear that? Well, are you familiar with, uh, with any Bava, Mario Bava films? Yes. Oh yeah. Have you seen Black Sabbath? The, the anthology, it's like three tales with, um, um, I have, and I own it, but it's been so long ago, I don't really remember anything about it. Yeah, like Boris Karloff is kind of the narrator, and he he kind of um, goes through these. But uh, the the last 
segment in this film is called the Vertilac, the Wordilac. Uh, and so uh, Karloff maybe actually I had starts. inspiration I forgot about. Well, it's funny because you, you talked about these are vampires that can only feed on their loved ones and things like that. And uh, that's totally what what that short is about focuses on this one family that's kind of plagued with uh, that whole thing. And it, it's a really great, great film, a great um, segment in this anthology. But uh, definitely check it out. Bava, the great filmmaker, uh, very uh, akin to uh, Argento, which you said uh, yeah. is also uh, a no, filmmaker. I've got two box sets of Bava films, actually. Awesome. Um, that one. And that does sound vaguely familiar now that you mention it. I should go back and rewatch it. Oh yeah, yeah, great, uh, great film. But uh, so, oh, um, one other thing that I'm going to address, and then we'll we'll, we'll start our review, which uh, you know we have yet to do. But uh, yeah, I, I can't wait to hear your take on this. Ooh, yeah, it's going to be fun. But uh, you are a man of many talents, and uh, you are also a musician, which is kind of your relief, I guess. And you know. There's a lot of a lot of work, a lot of stress, a lot of sweat goes into writing, and uh, I, I've heard that you you like to kind of get down and and record a lot of music. You're you're very musically talented. Tell me about that. I mean, this is something you've been doing for a while, I guess. Yeah, I mean, music is uh, honestly my core. Um, music predates anything written for me. I, I started playing uh, organ when I was five years old. Um, and I was writing all my own little songs, you know, when I was 10 and 12, and I did lyrics and everything else. I mean, I, music has always been central for me. I, uh, I love writing songs. Um, I didn't like performing them as much. Um, I'd rather have the sort of space to go in my little private place and play something 50 times and record it and get it perfect and not have to try and repeat that in a live setting. So I didn't do a lot of bands. I, I did some, but they never really went anywhere. Um, but then I also was a music critic for a newspaper for 20 years. Um, oh, wow. So music has always been in my life. It's always if, you know, my wife always uh, said, well, if it was between me and music, I know what would win and it wouldn't be me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try not to ever comment on that comment, but yeah, just yeah. kind of leave uh, it there. Yeah. Now, music is is super important for me, and all of my books actually um, mention in the in the acknowledgments, you know, what band I was listening to a lot while I wrote the book because I always do something um, with music playing. So with with the books, a lot of times there is a specific soundtrack. Uh, you know, when I was writing Siren. That book is about a siren, right? Well, a siren is a very specific, beautiful uh, singer. And so I intentionally chose the Cocteau Twins catalog, and simply that's pretty much all I listened to for three or four months while I was oh, doing wow. the, the bulk of that book. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, I, I do have a, a little digital 16-track studio in my basement. Unfortunately, you know, I spent years building it up piece by piece because you know i couldn't use the family money for that if i got a little <laughs> little extra writing check or, or whatever it was you know i'd go out and i'd, I'd buy uh, some effects unit or whatever it took me years to build the studio by the time i finally had the thing fully functional um my day job had gotten pretty intense and my writing career had really finally taken off with the novels and i don't really get to record much anymore <laughs> 
<laughs> so the studio hasn't been used too much the last couple of years, but I do still do occasional things. Well, you have it there kind of at your disposal. And um, I, you and me are very much alike in that regard. Uh, I'm very musical myself. I'm a, I play a lot of different things, you know, the bass, guitar, drums, a lot of things. And whenever my day job is getting especially stressful, I work from home. So whenever things are getting crazy, I have a, an 18 month old son, you know, whenever he's just making me want to pull my hair out, you know, yep, wrecking the place right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> or whenever, you know, I'm editing a podcast and I've hit a brick wall and I don't, what am I going to do? This, this is crazy. You know, I just stand up, I go over to the drum set, to the bass, you know, whatever. And I just pound it out for like a half an hour. And I just, I just let it fly and I just start recording on things and I just have, you know, a little four track that I, I mess around on. But uh, it's totally a way, first of all, you relieve stress. But second oh, yeah. of all, you, you just kind of, it's a different way of channeling creativity, you know, because I, I really believe that uh, there's kind of a creative energy that you sustain in a lot of different, uh, um, of um, oh, what's the word I want to say, different ways of expressing that whether it be writing, whether it be uh, musical things or, you know, film or, or whatever. Um, but uh, it's a different way of channeling the creative energy that kind of keeps it flowing. So if you hit a brick wall, say if you're writing and you're just like, I have no idea where I'm going to go from here. This is crazy. Well, you drop that, you go over and you, you start messing around musically with things and you divert your attention and your creativity towards that for a period of time. Then after that, you come back to writing and it's kind of like you've opened up a new pipeline to writing. I mean, do you find that? Have you kind of diverted energy to musical things for a while and then you come back to writing and you feel sort of refreshed and maybe a little bit, uh, you know, open and uh, ready to write again? No, I, I totally agree. I think just being creative in some sense um is and not being creative, you know, solely in one direction is right. healthy. Um, it's it's really about balance. Um, I, you know, I love to play music. I and it's a huge outlet for me to, you know, yeah, I'm frustrated. Yeah, I'm happy. Yeah, I go sit down at the piano and I just, you know, bang out something. And um, but I also do other things. I'll go out and I've got a, a whole array of flower and vegetable gardens around the house. And so I like doing mm -hmm. landscape work, really. That's very fulfilling because you can be extremely creative um, and create something that's truly lasting. Um, I love to cook, you know, and that's that's a creative uh, endeavor as well. I'm jealous. Um, that's that's awesome. <laughs> So, you know, you, you just you go from sort of one outlet to the next. And, yeah, it's exercising different little elements of the same thing. Um, and I do think it can sort of open up areas. If you're blocked on one, sure, go to the other one. And maybe when you come back, you won't be blocked anymore. I, I think that does work. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Well, you are certainly a man of, of many talents. And uh, you can cook as well. Like I said, I'm jealous. I wish I, wish I could cook something other than fried eggs and toast and uh, take you know grab a jalapeno that makes everything all right Ooh, ooh, i do like hot stuff so man yeah yeah well 
Oh, awesome, dude. Well, we talked about picking out a movie to talk about tonight. You know, I said, hey, let's let's kind of end things out by by discussing a film. Let's review something, discuss something. And uh, you you sent back a lot of different movies that uh, I could consider. But uh, there's one that uh, actually I've wanted to watch for a long time. And it's always been one of those films. And I'm like, ah, man, I got to see this. I've heard about it so many times. And finally, uh, you ended up sending this to me. So um, I I decided I got to give this a shot. And uh, we're going to talk about The Living Dead Girl from 1982. Um, and, and of course, this is from a, a director that is very interesting, has a lot of uh, crazy films throughout the years, Jean Rollin. Um, and uh, so, th- again, this is one of the movies that uh, you said that uh, you'd like to talk about tonight. So is there a, a certain reason that uh, you picked The Living Dead Girl? You know, I don't know if there's a... Living Dead Girl is a movie that I first saw when I was first doing DVD reviews. Um, I mentioned I, you know, I, I wrote a music column for years. Mm-hmm. Well, for that newspaper, um, my, uh, editor allowed me to do a Halloween roundup kind of thing. And so I essentially became a once or twice a year horror DVD movie reviewer over the next few years and at that period um image films was reissuing a whole bunch of the redemption catalog in england redemption did a lot of obscure euro horror stuff and sort of exploitation uh films from the 70s and they did a lot of jane rowland um and they sent me this box set that included uh living dead girl and i can't remember what else if because that was the it wasn't the zombie set, or maybe it was. It so doesn't like, matter. Like Grapes anyway. of Death or something like that. Um, you know, I should actually walk over to the shelf and check it out. <laughs> but, um, I mean, basically, this was one of the very first European horror movies I saw. And it was definitely the first Gene Rollin movie. And I was fascinated by this film. The, the visuals of it were so different than anything that you ever saw in a Hollywood movie. It was very, very slow in some ways, mm-hmm. um, but it allows it to be more lyrical. Um, and and that's what he excelled at, I found out later, because I have gone on to collect every single movie he's ever released at this point. Oh, wow. Uh, so that's kind of why I picked it out, is that was my entree into European horror. And... It was to me. It's just an amazing film. It's it's a beautiful film. It's a sad film. Um, a lot of emotion in it. Um, it's a low yeah. budget picture, so in which you can see in parts. But I think it, it holds up. I actually sat down last night since I knew we were going to talk about it, and I kind of skimmed back through it. I have a horrible memory, so you know, any movie <laughs> that I've seen that I can tell you I loved a movie, but if you press me on it, I won't be able to give you a single detail. <laughs> Um, if I saw it more than three days ago. So, you know, I did sit down and, and I remembered all the things that I loved about this film and I just found it, it was in the, uh, the zombie collection. So it included, um, his living dead girl and the night of the hunted as well. And then there was reincarnation of Isabel, which is somebody else's movie. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Roland actually made a lot of zombie movies. 
Um, and uh, some better than others. You know, this one and uh, I mentioned The Grapes of Death, I think, being, you know, some of his top tier zombie films. But uh, then I believe he had one uh, Zombie Lake. Have you ever seen Zombie Lake? <laughs> I own Zombie Lake. Uh, nobody should own Zombie Lake. That's a little but rough to get a, through. He gets a pass for that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, that was that was supposed to be a Jess Franco movie. Right. And they called him in like the day before it was shot being shot or something because Jess had quit the project. Uh, so he just picked it up and, and shot stuff. But he did the best he could with what he had. And yeah, so it's, that's... <laughs> Nazis coming out of a lake. <sighs> yeah. You talk about Should blue be. zombies. I mean, you know, we got a lot Everyone of Everyone's taking a pass on that film. Yeah. Yeah. So but, uh, you know, coming back to Living Dead Girl. Um, of course, this is a French film and it is subtitled. Um, and uh, to me, the thing I love about European movies is it has that European charm. You know, the European architecture and these kind of old world settings that to me just I, I, I really, really love. I really d- dig seeing, um, you know, the old stonework, the old... Uh, you know, the old architecture, it just really, really does it for me. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, but uh, I'll give a quick synopsis of what happens here because it's actually fairly simple. Um, that uh, at, at the beginning of the film, we see these guys taking these barrels of toxic waste underground to get rid of it. We got to take the waste somewhere. You know, we tried dumping it in the river, but all the fish <laughs> died. So we're just going to put it underground here in these crypts, you know, in the in these old places. You know, people are buried here. And um, so the guys that are taking these barrels down also happen to kind of see an opportunity to rob the graves that are down there, to open up the coffins and take some jewelry. So, uh, you know, they, they start doing that and they find some things that they like. But there's an earthquake in the middle of all this. So not only, you know, do uh, do the barrels crack open and the toxic waste comes spilling out, but uh, these guys are also very frightened. Of course, the, the, the things move around and it gets crazy. And all of this brings the body of a certain girl named Catherine back to life. She's the only one brought back to life. We're really not offered a lot of explanation, you know, a lot of details, a lot of scientific kind of things. As to what exactly is going on. You know, she just kind of comes back to life. It's because of the toxic waste. So, you know, what do you want from me here? That's that, that's just what it is. And, uh, you know, immediately she starts killing everybody. You know, she gouges out that guy's eyes at the beginning of the film. The other guy dies because he kind of laid in a puddle of toxic waste. Um, so from here on, this girl just kind of goes around and she's got to kill people and drink their blood in order to kind of satiate this lust for blood. And um, she, her, her mission is to meet up with her childhood friend who was so near and dear to her. They made this blood pact when they were very young. And um, so she's got to get to her. She, she finds her. And things go from there. I don't know if I want to kind of spoil things. As far as what really happens at the end, but uh, things end in this movie how I think they should have ended. Um, they, they took some certainly interesting twists as far as role reversals, as far as, you know, the, the Catherine started out as being the bloodthirsty, killing character. 
but then she found her friend. And I, I can't remember the name of her, the, the childhood friend at this point. But uh, the roles kind of reversed there where Catherine eventually started realizing the monster that she was. She was evil all throughout the movie. She said, I'm evil. I'm pure evil. And she kind of realized what she was and saw some kind of wrongness in it all. And then things reversed where her friend started killing people. Her friend started kind of being the bloodthirsty one of the two. So it was really interesting. We saw a lot of character development. We saw a lot of interaction and and a hell of a lot of blood and gore and, and crazy things throughout this. So... What do you think? What's your take on uh, on what happens in Living Dead Girl? Well, and and you you come close to you didn't mention the one thing that I think is sort of core to the movie, and that's this sort of love element between the two women. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, because that's I'm not sure. You know, I, I should have watched it closer last night. I'm not sure if I'd say it was the love of her friend that sort of brings her back to more consciousness or simply, you know, the, the more she drinks blood, the more she comes back to life. Mm. But essentially, you know, Catherine is a complete true zombie at the start of the movie where she has no real intellect at all. She's just stumbling around and she sees a live thing and she stabs it and drinks it. Mm. But as the film goes on, she's starting to come back. She's starting to be able to mouth words. She's remembering a little bit of her past life. And that's where she's really faced with this evidence that she is a monster. Mm -hmm. And yet her friend who has apparently had this sort of deep love of her, perhaps deeper than she should have for a long time, her friend will do anything to keep Catherine alive, including feed her with victims so in that sense yeah she becomes the monster the 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 live girl is the monster and Catherine just wants no part of this anymore and yeah i don't want to spoil the ending it's it is the perfect ending for this movie and it's it's an incredibly melancholy feeling because you can identify with Catherine in this place that she cannot get out of in any way she can only act monstrously, and she hates it. Right. It's it's marvelous. I, I love I love the feeling this movie ends on. Right, right, and uh, a thank you. I, I mean, I definitely kind of neglected the whole. Um, there, there's a very erotic element to this, and, and and it's interesting. You know, we we started off talking about your erotic fiction and and things like that, and then we we go to this movie, and uh, you know, so I, I see kind of of why you may have picked a movie like this, you know, as far as the erotic horror goes, because there's a lot of nudity for whatever reason. I'm not sure a lot of times, except, (laughs) you know, just to have, you know, some, some nudity up there, you know, to see some naked girls. Um, but, uh, there is definitely this erotic relationship between the two girls that you see, is very uh, not so subtle in a couple scenes, but is a, kind of a subtle element throughout the film. But uh, you see some very, very close kisses, you know, at certain times. And you're like, well, was there more going on in this relationship than just a close kind of, of uh, childhood 
relationship between these girls that was really close. And uh, I like that question in my mind because you're not sure. It could have been, maybe not, but, uh, you know, it very well maybe. So we have this whole, whole uh, you know, almost lesbian kind of thing going on, these lesbian themes. Um, so that's uh, a huge element here. And have you, have you seen other Rowland films at all? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like I said, Zombie Lake, um, Grapes yeah. of Death, which um, I'm not sure if Grapes of Death. Well, Grapes of Death, again, a lot of nudity. I'm not sure it had, um, you know, as far as the sexual kind no, of themes. No. That's, no, that's one of his least, actually. It's probably his most uh, serious attempt at a, at a straight on horror film. Yeah. Um, Rollins movies overall have a lot of sort of lesbian vampire overtones to them. There are lots of films about vampires, lots of films with two female leads um, who are generally very scantily, if clad at all. Um, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he does play, you know, the, the nudity card on his women a lot. And the interesting thing about Rollin is he came out of the, era where porn was essentially just getting going or at least he started his his first films were late 60s and then went into the 70s when he had hit his stride he was using um softcore porn films to finance his essentially softcore horror films Hmm. Uh, that's what he loved doing but they always say and i've not gotten to see most of them because they were obviously obscure and French and he did them under a different name, but his, his critics would say, you know, when Rollin was filming a softcore film, he seemed more interested in the scenery than he was in what was going on on the bed, Hmm. which is interesting because when you watch his horror films, he always brings in a lot of nudity, but his thing I think was he really liked to see the beauty of the female form and he showed it a lot, but he didn't really, want to focus on the act of sex per se. Right. So it's, it's kind of interesting. If you watch his films, he does have this, this aesthetic. Um, he really wants to set beautiful, um, scenes. So in, in odd scenes there, there's a, a continuing theme in a lot of his movies of somebody walking out of a clock, mm. <laughs> a grandfather clock and a woman just comes walking out a nude woman in most cases what the hell is that? But <laughs> you know, he, he had these sort of images that play throughout all of his films. He had, he had two women. He had the clock thing and people coming out of it. Um, a lot of vampire themes. And, and very often um, a, a theme of the estranged or um, the hopeless. Uh, you know, there's, there's no place to go from here. Which I think is kind of the living dead girl's plight, right? She, right. She's dead. She's over. And yet in a horrible way, she's coming back to life and she can't escape what she is. Right. Um, so some really marvelous themes in Rollins movies. They are a little bit slow, uh, for a modern kind of viewer. Um, but I'm just, uh, how would you sort of describe, uh, did you watch it just this weekend or? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, today, this morning, <laughs> you know, oh. very first thing I, I get up, very I first. get out of bed and I'm like, let's watch living dead girl. Um, so this was my, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, bringing up the day with this and, uh, 
Um, yeah, it was uh, it actually very reminiscent as far as atmosphere and effects and gore as uh, Grapes of Death, because that's my my favorite Rollins film, I think, uh, you know, up until the and And again, this uh, this has, uh, I think, escalated to one of my favorite, uh, you know, Jean Rollin films. I, I, um, I really I, I dug it. It was very slow, but. Instead of slow, let's call it like atmospheric. Yeah, um, I mean, I, to me they're lyrical, but you really yeah. have to, you have to have the time and interest to just sit back and let it happen. And right. modern movie watchers are sort of, we've been trained anymore that if you know if there's not a major action scene every five minutes, um, you know, we're depressed. <laughs> yeah, I'm bored. I, I need some. I'm going to go check my email. Right. Right, <laughs> and you can't do that. You seventies films in particular. I, I mean, they they really worked under a different rhythm than what we're used to now. So I always set my mind in a little different place when I'm going to sit down and watch a seventies film because most of them are a lot slower. Yeah, well, um, I, I love the fact that you you brought up his attention to beauty, you know, it, and as opposed to attention to action and attention to gore and attention to perpetuating you know some sort of cheap thrills because uh you know every scene is very beautiful i I think they blocked it very well on you know the scene towards the end where uh catherine's friend lures uh somebody else down into the basement you know to uh you know that she actually traps her down there but the girl is in the basement and she goes down the steps and then she kind of comes out and she's kind of wandering around and trying to figure out why she's there. And then Catherine comes out of the shadows and is kind of behind her. And she kind of creeps up behind her and then, you know, everything kind of happens from there. But that's, I, I think, a beautifully blocked scene. It's a, it's, a, it's a great kind of suspenseful thing. It's like, you know, something bad is going to happen. And it's just kind of when... And the rhythm, the rhythm of everything is great. And again, it's in this great kind of kind of old country, kind of European setting, you know, in something that's that's probably centuries old. You know, all of these all of these settings are very, very classic, very, um, very run down in a lot of situations. But, uh, you know, it, it takes place in this castle, the chateau, if you will. Um, and uh so this has a lot of charm, a lot of atmosphere, and uh, no, I mean, if you think that uh, one of your favorite horror movies is like something like Saw or you know Hostel or something like that, you're gonna watch this film and and probably be asleep in the first ten minutes. But uh, I, I think if you appreciate beauty and you appreciate really really good filmmaking, great pacing, and a good story, something that. Uh, you really haven't seen before. You know, I think this is a great one. I mean, have you seen anything like this story before or anything since that is quite like this? I mean, this is, I think, one in a, one in a million kind of movies. Oh, I agree. I, I think that's what captured me. It's I've not seen this particular story done and so many other stories. You know, yeah, 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 I've seen it all before. This This is a very different story. It's a very quiet story, but it's intense in, in many ways. Right. Right. And as far as the modern horror fan goes, 
I mean, come on, Rob Zombie did a tribute to this this movie in one of his songs, didn't he? Like mm-hmm. Dead Girl, you know? So He did. Rob Zombie likes it, so, you know, <laughs> come on, come on. You should, too. So, um, you know, as far as, uh, if you would rate this um, on a general horror scale, you know, let's uh, let's go one to ten on this. You know, ten being your your favorite horror movie of all time, the thing that scares you time and time again and just creeps you out. Um, where would this fall as far as, if it's even fair giving this a rating? Um but uh, what would you think? Just recommending it to uh, to a horror fan. I, that yeah, that's it is unfair um, because I'm, I'm going to rate it. I'm going to rate it an eight or a nine because it's one of my favorite movies in the horror genre of all time. Is it terribly horrific? Is it going to scare you? No. Um, is it a horrible situation that evokes emotion? Absolutely. Um, I think it's a beautiful, s- disturbing, sad uh, film, and it's 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 fun to watch. And for for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, the the whole setting uh, element, that's something that plays throughout all of his films. Is you know he's always shooting castles and rural French landscapes, and you know we don't have that here. Um, yeah. So it's it's fun for an American actually to just sit and watch some of that to catch catch the landscape if nothing else but no this this to me is a really really high high movie and um i always recommend this to people this and uh his other film fascination which tends to get a lot of kudos as well um i think are great places to start on the rollin catalog cool cool well just talking with you tonight about rollin and and again you know our communication back and forth and the emails and you you suggested a few others Um, you know, I'm definitely going to dive into some of his other things because to be honest, you know, I started off my, my first foray into Rollin films was zombie Lake. Mm. And I'm like, well, you can only go up. Yeah. Well, (laughs) unfortunately I saw that as a representation of, of his work. And, uh, then I saw grapes of death and I love that film. And so that's, uh, you know, whatever. But, uh, you know, I'm definitely going to check it out. And as far as a, a rating on this goes, I don't. Um, oh, man. If you like European horror. Um, and again, I mean, if you like you like boobs and gore, I guess, you know, you, you got that, too, which a lot of a lot of horror fans tend to like, then, uh, you know, definitely check it out. It's uh, it's slow. It's not something that has any kind of jump scares whatsoever, but uh, you know, you see a lot of creative, gory scenes. You see that awesome, like uh, late seventies, early eighties, really bright blood, like the the bright red blood that uh, seemed to be kind of a the staple of this uh, <laughs> this uh, era in horror. Yeah, it kind of sk- kills the scare factor. Yeah, yeah, but it it kind of works too. You know, it, it, it you know, you suspend disbelief. You know, you I don't know. I don't know. It works for me. We saw it in Dawn of the Dead, which I, I know isn't going to is going to mean anything, you know, to you, but I uh, you know, it, it it works for me in this era. And again, you know, you said it, when you see these kind of films, you kind of set yourself in a different mindset than other films. And so when I know I'm watching like a European horror movie from the early 80s, 
I'm going to think a little bit differently and maybe accept some things that I might not accept in other films. So, yeah. But, uh, ah, a rating. Hey, you asked. This is unfair. This is very unfair. (laughs) Um, So, uh, uh, personally, I will give this an eight. Uh, an eight sounds good. Um, it's uh, it, 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 I think it delivers on all levels. I, I think if you're looking for something uh, shallow, you're you're going to see a lot of gore. You're going to see a lot of nudity, like I said. But uh, if you're looking for something deep, you're going to find that too. So I think it speaks on on some different levels to some different fans. So that's uh, that's fair. So check it out, Living Dead Girl. It's actually available on Netflix streaming. So if you uh, you got that, you can uh, watch it right now. But uh, man, well, and I, we're a little ahead of the curve too, because what I'm really looking forward to is end of next month, Blu-ray release. Wow, really? Which the uh, Kino Lorber has been reissuing a whole lot of the Redemption catalog over the last few months, and they started with the Rollin catalog. So I've got like now six or six or seven Rollin blu-rays and i really wanted living dead girl to be the first uh instead it's coming at the end of this summer so so far the prints have been amazing when you compare the blu-ray print to something they're either the redemptions or the image releases of some of these movies uh, i obviously have a lot of them and uh i've, I've done those comparisons and it's pretty impressive so yeah wow. pick this one up on blu-ray if you can in just a few weeks wow Wow, great. Well, well, thank you. Well, John, man, this has been a blast tonight talking with you about, again, your brilliant work and uh, Living Dead Girl as well. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, johneverson.com is where uh, people can find out more about you. But uh, where else? Did I miss anything as far as uh, I know there you can be found on Facebook and yep, Johnny uh, a lot Everson of other on places. Facebook. Awesome. Uh, John Everson on Twitter. Sure. I'm I'm easy to find. <laughs> cool, cool. Well, all of those links again will be up in my show notes. Um, but uh, man, I hope I, I'm going to check out more Rollin, and totally. I hope that uh, you can come back on the show with me and talk about more, uh, some more Rollin. So would, would love to. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, anytime. Well, John, again, thank you very much for speaking with me tonight, and uh, let's do it again, man. All right. You like country music? Okay, because this is a this is a little sort of zombie pride tune. Another week, another show, another electric chair in the books. Well, thank you for listening. 
Uh, I got to thank Priscilla Iden. Of course, I'm going to have all of her links up in the show notes on the website. So check that out. You can email her or go to her Twitter or uh, IMDB things. Find out more about her. Actually talk to her. As you can tell, very cool. Also, thank you to John Everson. Of course, check his work out. Just a fantastic guy, as uh, as you heard. And man, you know, we could have kept going. <laughs> Literally, I just had to kind of cut things off because I'm like, wow, I'm going to be up all night with this guy, which would have been great, but my wife would not have been as, as happy. So, <laughs> yeah. But uh, hopefully I'll be able to speak with uh, both of my guests again here real soon. So, yes, electrichairshow.com is where you can find me. Uh, Corey at midnightcorey.com is, is my email, and midnightcorey.com is another website of mine that's uh, pretty cool, if I do say so myself. I'm on Twitter and on Facebook. Of course, all of this can be found on the website. Leave me a review in iTunes or uh, give me a feedback. Come on, feedback. I want to know how I'm doing, even if it's bad. I've taken a lot of that before, so th- what's a little bit more? <laughs> Let me know. 206-337-5096. And of course, watch The Electric Chair 2D on YouTube and spookshow.tv. Well, once more, thank you for listening. Thank you for uh, watching the show. It really means a lot. I appreciate it. So, until next week, this is Midnight Corey saying, all right. Let's <laughs> go.